Okay, this is going to go at the beginning. What is? This conversation right now. Oh my gosh, why are we doing a pre-roll? Because this is a long episode. Yeah, but we did a pre-roll. We did a pre-pre-roll pre-roll. Pre. Huh. Well, I'm we also, said at the beginning that it was the beginning. Because it's so Now this is a new beginning. Because it's so Oy. long, I'm also not going to really do any editing. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, Abandon hope all ye who enter here. Which means that whatever whatever sniffs are in there, whatever like bumping in the microphones and causing the big boom, that's just going to stay in. Okay. Are you I okay? Support, are, you know I support that. I've you okay supported that? that approach forever. And I've urged it forever. And you've usually refused, but I'm delighted to hear. Well, you've been the beneficiary of my ignoring your advice. I know. And your standards it makes it a slipping. And, yeah. I, and I, I think it's great. I'm people are finally going to hear the truth. <laughs> It's never been a dishonest kind of, I never edit for content. That's true. No, I'm just, I, like, I understand. Cutting out like little, like, you know, or, or sometimes talking over, although when it's just you and me, I don't cut out for that because we've got very simple microphones here. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, I can never cut out talking over yeah. in a way We're that would be satisfactory. Yeah. Um, so here's the show. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, listener Harris because okay. he needs and wants and deserves a shout out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I saw this one. So he's getting a shout out. Okay. You're the keeper of the feedback today. Okay. Usually I kind of go through the feedback. Have you noticed you do, that? You're you know? a little bit more yeah, tidy about that than I am often. But I think on But this, today this responsibility falls It's one of those rare occasions. Joe. I do have a couple topics I want to talk about Which as well. Is great. So, we, so today is a Just Joe and Me show. It is indeed. By me, I mean Christian. I'm Christian. Yes, Joe, I'm you're Joe. Joe. People yes, want to know that sometimes. You know, the, the other thing is I... Well, I'll tell my story in a minute, but I got to see a friend who I don't get to see all the time and it was wonderful. You know, it's like, you know, when you see one of your best friends and it, you know, you know how good it can be, right? Yeah, it's great. Um, it turns out the friend listens to the show. Like I always, it, it always blows me away. That's when, wonderful. When I find out that people I respect listen to the show. Um, uh, but he had a bit of feedback. Oh. For us. Okay. Would you like to share that now? Should I preempt what you were about to do? Well, I will come back to my things. You can interject with a, a delightful vignette. Well, I mean, he had, uh, you know, I think, you know, good, good. Or not. Maybe I'm about to be castigated to the ends of the earth. I don't know. He he thinks we should get rid of Joe. No, he doesn't. (laughs) No, not that. He's not the only one, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, uh, Otherwise, you know, very positive about the show, which is really, really cool. Um, But uh, did point, it's something that I think every now and then, and I know that you think about every now and then, but it's hard to do in the course of the show, partly Mm. because of the way that we do it. And that is like when we have a guest on, um, like taking some, like, like purposeful time to summarize the paper because mm. you know people don't you know there are a few people I, this may surprise you but there are a few people who listen to the show who don't necessarily read the entire paper before they listen to the show right so um so w- i think we should try to do that a little we should try to do that better i always try you know you, you know how yeah. sometimes i'll say oh we should before we go on we should go back and, and summarize you know what's so but, great about this idea is that it actually isn't going to take that much effort because we do try to lay out some of the arguments they make. And, and so there just needs to be a little bit more pulling it together and laying it out quickly up front. Right. I mean, we'll often say what the r- roughly what the thesis of the paper is, but, but it's very bare bones because we've read it and the person's the author and so you right. kind of jump right in. But, but we can do that. We it will not be, take much yeah. effort to do a, a lot better on that. He just thinks we need to be a little bit more mindful about yeah, that. Yeah. Which I, mean, I think, you know, and, and. Totally right. I think we can do it in a way that doesn't turn it into a show with segments. Right. Which is right. what we don't want, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think we can do that. So I want to heartily agree that we've been complete bastards. Oh, we've been terrible. Now. We've just been awful. About yeah. That. Yeah. It's <laughs> disgusting. Oh, man. All right. So what, what you got? So another thing I just want to say, because we've gotten a number of, of 
sort of comments and observations and thoughts about our, our conversation with Ian Samuel about Carpenter and, and other various... Are, are you done with Listener Harris? Yeah, we, got, we gave the shout out to Listener Harris. What do you want me to do? Uh, well, you left out the part where he mentioned that I pronounce Argonaut correctly. That, that is a, that's true. He did do that. And I apologize. I tend to blot those things out. I don't even know that they register in my brain. My friend used the term, but I think he pronounced it like you did. I think he said Argonauts. Argonauts. Yeah, I didn't correct him. I was a little bit too tired. You know, it's to, to know. each his or her own, yeah. I think. Um, and so I celebrate Harris. I celebrate Argonaut. I celebrate Argonaut. I celebrate the fact that it would be nice to have something better than either of those two things. Well, I think it's a great name. I, I like. You know, I celebrate I'm, I'm the one, fact that did, you disagree with me about I'm whether they would even be want a name. I didn't even want a name because I thought like we couldn't find one. Like I thought it would be too cutesy, it would be too whatever. And and like this is like it, I want to shorten to Argies, but you don't want to do that. Ugh. Like it is. That's a little bit British. You know how you know how the Brits always is, have is, these little yeah. like these little. It's not diminutive. So I don't know what they call it in Britain. And, when I, they do and that. I'm not. Ex- I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm Anglophilic. Maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, the fact that Argy appeals to me is definitely a, a an you get echo, that right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of my having enjoyed my time living in England, okay. how, uh, as brief as it was. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of uh, uh, Anglophiles, I don't know why that's a transition, but okay. huzzas uh, to our our episode with Ian Samuel. It was just a very good episode. We got a lot of positive feedback about it. I enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it. We all know that it was five hours, but who cares? Um, uh, listener Charlie, hello. Did you get the email that I sent about the security thing to, from listener Charlie? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, there was one listener who had feedback about the HTTP and HTTPS, something, you know, something, something, something on our site. And the, the short answer is, uh, yeah, cause it, our provider now supports the HTTPS with our setup. So that's something I just need to go in and do. But it, but actually just within the past few weeks, I, I got ah, this. Okay. So the reason but, we so hadn't, thank you, listener Charlie. The reason we hadn't been set up that way before is because of complicated stuff involving our provider. So. Right. Charlie's a big fan. So I, I like that Charlie is... I uh, thought it was a great email. Thanks for forwarding Helping us out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was this interesting email from uh, listener Edward, who is also a teacher and, and was sort of thinking about the discussion, uh, a discussion about the role of law professors in the classroom in our current uh, era, our current political era, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something we could come back to as a topic at some point today or later or something like that. But I do think it's an interesting it's an interesting quandary. And it's a quandary that my answer to which has been changing over time, I think. Um, uh, as our current predicaments continue. Um, that's the only, that's what I want to stop with right now. There are some other things I could mention, but so I just want to check in with you. How are you? How am I? How are you doing with what I'm saying? How are you feeling? Uh, fi- I was actually just looking for this email and I could not find it. The one from listener Edward. Okay. Do you have a, do you have a date for me? I do not. I I made a series of little notes here in my yeah, notes. Program. See, that's normally what I do, and so now. So but I'm sitting here date. looking through the Slack like an idiot and trying to find this thing. So, um, yeah, that's where I am. Okay, and I can't I can't find it. Okay, this is early on. I guess are, are we going way back? It maybe. I mean, it's been a long time since we did a mailbag, dude. Yeah, yeah. What were you tell me about your topics for today? Because no, they let's keep going. They might dovetail with. They might dovetail with what is in that note or some other note. So why don't you tell me what your topics, tell me what the topics are that you thought of. Well, uh, so I want to tell you the story of my travels. Okay. That'll, that won't take long. Um, there, I want to talk, um, 
I thought I'd ask you about this, um, about a couple of Apple related things. Oh, okay. Um, and the confirmation fight. Mm. I do want to at least mention it, even though we are not a topical show. Right. But, mm, you know. Yeah. So I, uh, I do, I think we need to mention it. Okay. Especially since one of the things we've talked about recently is restructuring the Supreme Court in light of the difficulty of, and, you know, the disaster that is Supreme Court confirmation. Yeah, I really, I think uh, on, on just on that sliver, which we'll pick back up later, I think. Uh, but, but yeah, if, if anything would cause a person to say, mm, we might need to do a kind of a really fundamental rethink. Yeah. Our current circumstances <laughs> ought to prompt people to be thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and yes, it takes a constitutional amendment. But you know what? It's funny. I think it was... It's like a combination of of the way we formulated something when Ian was a guest, or maybe it was when Ian and Dan were both guests, or maybe it was something on their show or something. But it's the basic idea that on the one hand, when you think about constitutional amendments, you think, look, if if we became the kind of people who would agree with that amendment, we wouldn't need that amendment. So, but but I think the imperative of building a movement for that amendment will. And then you use the amendment to sort of cement things in place. Right. Like, we really very badly need to restructure some things that are really hampering us. And the level of dysfunction that we're experiencing is, it's, it, it is, it, it is deceptively, it looks deceptively harmless right now. Right. As harmful as it is, it looks deceptively harmless. We are not actually experiencing the kind of crisis that would, the kind of crisis of external events or some similar thing that would really lay bare just how completely bonkers everything is right now. Right. The body, the body politic is what it is, and, and but it's not being tested. Right. Right. And so what? So its weaknesses are not. Yeah. So we need to apparent, rather yeah. than than have it be tested and actually be torn to pieces right in front of us. Uh, we by those circumstances, we, we need to, I think, start really building conversations and movements toward making those changes. And there's no time like the present. And so so it relates to voting. It relates to the structure of the Supreme Court. I've I, been thinking a lot about virtue ethics in, in the context of like thinking about my proposal, which um, I think I'm going to, th- I think I just need to write the kind of annotated version of that amendment as a blog post. Mm-hmm. That explains the transition rule and everything right. else because right, it's right, in right. there, but I don't think people, you know, it's it's kind of hard to figure out. But right, um, but but I've been thinking a lot about the, the ways that um, that that one reason to have rules is not just because you think they'll produce necessarily particular better results or even to avoid particular dangers, but because living under some kinds of rules makes you better people than living under other kinds of rules. Yeah, I think that's and true. One of the problems with the current system, and maybe we can come back in in. Either we're going to talk about it now or we really are going to circle back. I mean, you know how we yeah, are. Yeah, because I want to hear about Hong Kong. Well, so, but one, so of, the we'll problems, one of the problems right now is that um, people are becoming very cynical about the truth and other people's motives. And the system that we have encourages people to be cynical about others' motives. And yes. I, I could, hard, I could, I don't think I could be more cynical about Mitch McConnell's motives. Right. I mean, I just think he's a, you know, <laughs> a really, really at least democratically loathsome character right now and just how i feel and 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 i see everything that he does through that lens and and i know because i've been talking with you know uh, conservatives on twitter and elsewhere that they are very suspicious of democratic motives 
I don't agree with them. I don't think this is, I'm not, I'm not one who's saying both sides here. Right. Um, but like once you have a view of certain actors and they are put into a certain game theoretic situation, yeah, there's you, a, you will assume that they are acting to maximize their own, you know. And a, there's a real risk of a doom spiral and it's, and it, that's bad. That's really, really bad. And so, and sometimes it's unavoidable that, that people will clash in a way where you can necessarily, where, where it's hard not to impugn their motives because you care about the thing so much, you know, over substantively political things. But sure. a system should be designed to avoid that kind of clash where possible. And that's part of like my proposal for, right. for confirmations is about avoiding these kinds of clashes and reducing the wattage of them. And indeed, there's a great deal of continuity, I would submit, between thinking of a project that way and, and the the things that were done to sort of bring us to some of the structures and institutions that we have now that that if you if you think about the 1600s in England and the way in which what we're doing is sort of there's there's direct lines you can draw from then to now mm-hmm. uh, in terms significantly of, less smelly i think now <laughs> in terms of political arrangements and institutional arrangements is uh in a context where everyone is fully committed to um of, of faith traditions, most deadly consequences for anyone who disagrees with that faith mm-hmm. and a kind of all out sectarianism. Right. Uh, to pull back from that brink, to pull back from that abyss of a war of all against all, truly, um, where everyone's soul is at stake. <laughs> um, th- that, th- that is, we, we are th- the, the descendants of people who decided to pull back from that brink right. and develop institutions and political arrangements that would make it possible for people to live together successfully, very successfully, even when they disagree about very important things. D- developing acceptable alternatives to war. Yes. Right. Where acceptable is like it's a hard target because people, as you say, they're so invested in in the meaning of life that their beliefs, which are contrary to another person's beliefs, like, right. you know, how so a lot of it has to do are, with, yeah. of course, making spaces for people to be free to pursue the ends they think best in right. a context where part of how they determine what those ends are, are these deeply personal things like faith traditions and the like, uh, matters of conscience, creating ways for people to have those views and carry on those lives and it not be the difference between being able to succeed or not and the society and all. So all kinds of things. I mean, it's so complex. Um, but to the degree that we're rethinking and, and trying to ask ourselves questions about how we could make institutions that suit our present time mm-hmm. and that have a, have a, that are still focused on that ultimate goal, which is how can we live together well given that we'll disagree and given that part of disagreeing can be coming to question a person's motives from time to time, sometimes a lot of the time. Right. Um, okay. Well, how do you make an institutional arrangement that, that, that makes that less threatening to the entire project? Right. Cause right now we just seems to like we're zooming toward a cliff. Yeah, you, you just can't have every Supreme court nomination be an existential question. Right. It just, um, and, and, you know, part of it, so if, if you think about the things that divide us now, I think it's row, and then it's a bunch of random things that are just products of the information sewer, you know, that are just fake things that people, you know, that's mainly, you can think of another number of things that like elites disagree about, you know, issues of federalism and this and that, where, you know, 
people who aren't invested in these questions also have disagreements, but they aren't like they aren't row. Um, right. You know, otherwise it's preference for this candidate or that candidate. I mean, occasionally you know, maybe it's affirmative action. I'm just I'm talking off the top of my head here right. trying to think about because it, the, the disagreements we have don't seem nearly as stark as the ones that people overcame, uh, you know, 400 years ago, which is, in a sense, very promising for us. Right. Right. But they didn't have the information sewer. Correct. Things didn't move at the informational pace and the informational surround sound ubiquity of hell right. that we are in right now. And maybe the effectiveness of kind of exploiting the human mind wasn't, you know, that, 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 that the informational situation in which we find ourselves is one in which, you know, it's easy to basically find exploits to hack human brains. Yeah. And not just, not just information, but attention and the, the yeah. way in which that's there's a, yeah, that's effect mean. surrounding yeah, yeah. all of that stuff too. It's mm-hmm. not, it's just not, it's not just data. We're not just computers. Yeah. Um, so um, the, the, the way that your use of the word exploit is like that, that's like a really great word because it captures some of that emotional stuff too, for me. Um, and, and it captures the mind frame of the people doing the exploiting. Mm. Right. You know? So let, let's, um, so let's go back to the feedback and, and then we'll come back to the particular politics and, and, and law of the confirmation. Maybe. So we're going to do that. We're going to do this before we talk about Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel bad though, because I've got this list and it's, I'm, it's hard for me to. Just, let's just give it a shot. I'll, it, and to the extent we don't do justice to any particular feedback, I'll, I'll, um. I'll also take a look and we'll get it on the next show. Okay. Not a problem. So two, so I think maybe... They've been waiting like eight, ten weeks. They can wait, So there's you know. like three more things. So I would say okay. uh, listener Justin wrote us, uh, and I think this was in response to our conversation with Mike last time. Okay. And Justin was struck with the fact that we were using the word descriptive in the way that he would use the word empirical. Ah. And then he made these really interesting observations about different ways of thinking about and describing empirical work and um, whether you're whether you're trying to explain a thing or describe a thing. And empirical work can do both of those. It can it can describe stuff in a, in a different way or a new way. And it can also be empirical work can also be an effort to explain with the things that you uncover and try to talk about a mechanism of action. Um, and I thought that was a neat sort of deeper take on on some of what we were struggling with in the language of, of empirical work versus descriptive work versus normative work, sort of all these words swirling around. And then in connection with the use of the word normative, he related that given the interdisciplinary context in which he finds himself these days, that it was fun to be listening to a conversation where instead of people saying, what does that normative project have to offer? Instead, they were asking, what does that empirical project have to offer? Like, we're so used to thinking about the default in in legal scholarship and conventional American legal scholarship today right. being the sort of the normative hit you get instantly in the from the abstract of the paper mm-hmm. onward, um, that we were, w- what we were problematizing was just doing empirical work that doesn't have that normative hit right off the bat. Yeah, and he makes me... And he's sort of thinking yeah. of it from the reverse perspective. As a social scientist. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I think, um, I, I also really enjoyed this email, and it, it made me think about uh, the the real distinction, well, I don't know if it's a distinction, but 
I think about the thinness of some projects, the relative thinness or thickness of some projects as a more, as something which is more telling than the descriptive normative. Like, because I think when people say descriptive, like there's a kind of description which is just about like looking at cases and categorizing what judges have said in particular cases and saying, you know, here's this, here's that, right? Um, and it's arbitrary in the sense that had judges said something slightly different, the project would look different, but it's not clear what anyone should do based on these descriptions, right? So like I'm, I'm thinking of pure descriptive doctrinal scholarship, right, which is the law is X. And, you know, there's some, there are values to kind of positive projects like that, you know, basically treatise writing, like gathering streams yeah. of cases into... Well, especially to the degree that it helps you when you gather things together and group them together, it helps you see things you might not have seen before because you hadn't kind of gathered them into those those groups right. and and then thought to describe the way the groups relate one to the other. Well, I see, mean the Linnaean right. project of of classification right. is is an enormously fruitful project right. in the history of biology for example. Um so well th- and that takes it depends so as you do more of that you you do more to t- you do more in terms of talking about reasons. And um, so take take the thin normative project. The thin normative project is one which just says, you know, here's what the Supreme Court decided in Masterpiece Cake Shop, right? And I think they should have said the following. And it's just a different doctrinal result citing some different policy, right? So you could write that paper. Um, you might well, even get it published. And the, right, and, the, and, of and course, it's normative. The, the, the thing would be the because part would be important, right? Right. The, I think they should have done this because, and the because thing would point to other things. Well, the because gives... Would be an alternative bases right. for having... What follows the because is a reason, right? Yeah. And so in both cases, to me, a project can be thin by not engaging deeply with reasons, right? But a project can be more interesting when it helps you see... Whatever it is you're trying to see, whatever it is they're trying to show you in a new way, like, you know, that you have seen reasons that didn't occur to you. Um, and, and you can get that with descriptive scholarship, right? You know, the, the, you know, here's a way of seeing the real structure of tort and contract law that shows you something different about those fields, right? right? And if you do a lot of that, it's not telling you necessarily any one case should be different or any particular thing should be different. In that sense, it's not normative in the typical legal academic sense. But it is, but neither is it like thinly descriptive, right? It, instead, it is, uh, it is descriptive but thick with reason, and and to me that's super valuable. Um, and I don't know so how, too normative. And I don't know how I would describe the the network analysis paper that you and Mike and I talked about um, exactly in the in the terms you were just using. I I think, I mean, if I described it in my own terms, it's sort of like it it is it is. An effort to describe a phenomenon that has been in plain sight. However, it does it using tools and methods that have not been applied to the, the, these facts before. And in, do, in applying these new tools and methods to those facts, I think it reveals things we hadn't seen and hadn't been talking about in the way that I revealed them and, and have talked about them and mm-hmm. plan to continue to do. So um, it's, it's not normative in the traditional sense it's it's empirical but in a in a very particular sense i'm i'm not describing in the traditional way either like i'm describing in a new way right and th- that's not you know uh, listener justin um is sort of he he did not happen to mention although i think it is a thing you could do talk about as a separate category when you're s- sort of taking 
new tools and methods and applying them to an, an, a, a familiar environment. That can generate new insights. Yeah, and, and he creates, you know, he, he cites this category explanatory, right, which is not normative in the legal scholarship sense, but right. neither is it like purely descriptive in the social science sense, right, of just saying, right, you know, there are this many homeless people in urban areas, right, but instead it tries to explain homelessness by, you know, referring to other variables, right? So, you know, that's right. the explanatory project. And, and I, I was just kind of recasting that as, you know, a, a, a paper about reasons. And in um, so it's easy to, to think of that in terms of typical social science projects, right, where you are relating thing, you know, empirical findings in the world to other empirical findings, and you're relating quantifiable things to other quantifiable things. And there is also qualitative, you know, empirical scholarship, right? right? Um, but and it could be to the degree that it's experimental empirical work, it's directly trying to engage on the question of causes. Right. Yeah. By, by, by manipulating them and exposing different groups of, of folks or entities to different treatments and trying to make inferences about that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud that traditional legal scholarship can be thought of in, in a similar way, right? There's, a, there's the explanatory project, which is subtly different from the descriptive project and the normative project. And and all three of those are not necessarily like qualitatively, hermetically sealed mm. categories. They're right. they just kind of like they engage with reason giving in a slightly, you know, in, in to, to a different degree maybe and maybe toward different, slightly different ends. But they kind of, you know, there are projects that we would have real trouble saying, well, is it explanatory or normative? Um, mm. Is it descriptive or is it explanatory? You know, because to describe something is to give some additional understanding of the thing, right? Which right. gives you, so anyway, I, I have all these thoughts and something Yeah, like to come why are to. you picking out these features as opposed to those features? Right. Like every description is in a, in a way a, um, bespeaks a, a certain set of commitments. Yeah. About, just about what people should be interested in. Like what's worth talking about yeah. or not, right? Um, he actually mentions this toward the end of the email about the fact that you know, can you have something that's truly descriptive? Maybe not. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, again, I think these are these are kind of spectral characteristics rather than than discrete. But mm, mm-hmm. spectral uh, that made them sound yeah, I, ghostly. I, I, it, I hesitated because. Uh, well, I'm not. Even, I'm, not even, I'm not even going to go into it. There's, it's a mathematical thing. I'm Halloween is coming it. up. So mentioning specters. That's is, not, yeah. I've, that's not what you meant. I was thinking of spectral theorems. And okay. Anyway, but that's okay. We can, let's go on. Okay. Let's go on. That, that will take us too far afield. What, I else, what else you got? Just so that people know, I don't really do a lot of Halloween decorations. Well, we, we had. So know, I wasn't fastening on that because I'm sort of a, you know, avid Halloween decorator. Some people are. You guys usually decorate for no. Halloween, right? Not, I mean, mm-hmm. when, when our kids were young. I mean, not like Christmas. But like, but. you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like maybe we'll get a pumpkin. Like, I don't know if we've gotten a pumpkin the past couple of years. Hmm. We should. But So you know. listener Jonathan would like us to explore the philosophical underpinnings of law and economics and other broadly utilitarian approaches to law, which could be fun at some point. Be nice to have a guest to help us do that. Be nice to have a paper that tried to do that uh, that we could talk about. Listener Nick um, has questions about publishing articles, which I... This email asked totally understandable questions, and it gave me PTSD flashes. <laughs> so I don't know about about what to do about those three questions about publishing and what you might thought what you might have thought of those from listener Nick. 
Um, which one is this one? This is, uh, I can just read you his questions. Yeah, yeah, do that. Uh, what to do to secure the best journal publication of an article? Oh, yeah, what is best? Yeah. What not to do to secure the best publication? What is the effect of self-publishing? He mentions something called SSRI. He, 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 I think he meant SSRI. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, as opposed to, you know, the yeah. reuptake inhibitors. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, oh, your own website, other media on publication and law journals. This is... You know, we talked about some of this stuff when we talked about the my expedite problems, right? Um, my my problems with the fact of expedite requests. Um, so this sort of like, bleh, which maybe. we should do an update on sometime. Yeah, because the whole yeah. system is a. I mean, is the thing disaster. is so profoundly broken at this point, um, in my estimation, like yeah, my perception. We all operate like if you're in a if you're at a law school, you operate under various incentives dependent on the law school and its values, and but quite a, quite apart from that, just a mechanism of using. The, the mechanism of submitting to multiple journals at once and how those journals decide what to read and that, how that process plays out these two times a year. And it, it, is, it is just designed to fail. I mean, it is designed to break down almost instantly in this deluge. Anytime I hear defenses or I hear people talk about this, it rarely grounds out to what is the best way to produce and disseminate new forms of knowledge right instead it's like it grounds out to what is best for you and your brand or right. you know what will get you read or heard and like from the public perspective you know there's there's no reason necessarily to think that you should be read or heard like you know it's like you should <laughs> right. produce like what you think is like what helped what is helpful to you to understand law and then it's kind of up to people now and in the future to decide whether it's helpful and it's helpful to them yeah right. and, and and there's you this, can't prejudge that but but so that's true and there's also this sort of if you if you take it back to um, you know, part of being a professor is doing this activity, and mm-hmm. this activity is regularly publishing scholarship in various forms, and then you sort of try to wrestle with the matching market problem, which is what we have, right? And there's all kinds of matching market problems. Yeah. Um, organ donor matching, uh, medical resident student matching for hospitals. Oh, so also you, you an actual organ donor and not, that wasn't a, a, a euphemism for a law review publishing. <laughs> It was not. Okay. Um, there are okay. all kinds of issues of how do you how do you help the two sides of a of a th- phenomenon find their best match in that space and the and what goes into designing processes that will get you the best for all involved. Uh, and there are some people who actually kind of specialize in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read a book. I wish I could remember the title or the author. I think you've them. mentioned this before. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's really interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, when I think about what's going on in sort of contemporary American law review, uh, unsolicited manuscript publishing, uh, it's just sort of like, uh, no, this is the worst imaginable set of of factors that we have. There are a number of law reviews that do blind review, but it's a very, very, very small number, usually like one, two, or three. And all the rest will look at your resume and your cover letter and your history of publication. So if the question is, you know, what do you do to secure the quote unquote best publication? I mean, for me, it's like write the best thing you can, that, you know, that you can write and put it out there and then it doesn't matter. But but to the extent you, what you mean by best publication is like U.S. News or the Washington Lee rankings or something else, some some ranking-oriented notion of best, right. then the answer is you want to submit from the best letterhead that you can 
which means the highest ranked U.S. news law school that you can. You want to get um, uh, you want to get advice on how to pitch your abstract conclusion and introduction to two L law students. And you maybe want to have networks of professors who will push the article with their students. Yeah, that's that. That's the that's the answer. Um, I have not been good at that. Right. Um, and that's not the only way. I mean, you can write like if you write something which is truly interesting and stunning, uh, then, you know, whether they're and a lot of these tools, are, they're very smart and, and able. So it's not that they're completely unable or but they do tend to look at letterhead. They do, do tend to look at that. Um, you know, whether you're writing in something which is, you know, touches a class that they've had or experience that they've had or they otherwise are persuaded is interesting. Like that's a different right. game than writing something that appeals more, you know, to the scholarly community more broadly. Yeah. Um, and so it, my advice is not to play the game. Yes. Um, but that, and, and that's a, that's a different question from whether there should be student edited law journals Indeed. and how they should operate. Like Indeed. you could have those and, and not have this problem because the problem, right. You know, the problem about getting into the best journal, et cetera, is, is not a problem of those journals existing. It's of, no, it's the matching problem. It, no, it, it's of our meaning professors or, or people interested in, in legal scholarship placing, um, value in right. placement. Right. But that, but that's what generates the matching yeah. problem. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the um, the, that is the, 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 the match, frenzy is the tip of the iceberg the prestige desires are below that below that are some other things <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a lot going on yeah um but the but the particular forum in which it plays out is this biannual you know f- feeding frenzy over a limited number of publication spaces right in a in a limited number of journals to which people attach prestige that they connect to their institutional aims. Um, I'm just describing what I perceive to be facts. I, I'm not making judgments about the desirability of this state of affairs. Actually, I am. I think it's all terrible. Um, but, uh, but this is just what you observe, right? Yeah. Um, the, it, it, the law professors on average are not equally willing, are, are not willing to publish pieces they write equally in all available places to publish them. Right. So the authors make distinctions among the journals. The journals make distinctions among the papers. And the authors. You've mentioned some of the factors they use, the letterhead on which the cover letter is written, the places that author has published before. Oh, Um, and also like whether the expedite game, whether they have an existing offer from a journal that seems good to the students who are considering the article right uh and which is another way in which the prestige thing gets reproduced yeah um because to the degree that they're they're looking at oh you say you got an offer from the journal of x um what do we think of the journal of x well the same we're probably going to make that assessment using the same heuristics we're using for your letterhead and all the places that you published yeah. before so it's just another thing that reproduces and the, it need not even be conscious. I mean, I, and, and it's, oh, I mean, it's most not of just it's students. Not. I mean, I, I remember I had an article that was in consideration at a top journal one time and and had um, and was talking with another law prof about like what to do. And and once the prof knew that it was being considered by this particular journal, they were like, oh, I should, uh, you know, I should definitely take a look. And it's like, you know, the, the fact of that consideration made the article more attractive to read. Um, right. And I don't, you know, it wasn't, 
it's just an unconscious, I don't know if it's conscious, maybe it's conscious, but it's a certain kind of bias that we have that, you know, um, I don't know if I want to say more. Let's keep going. You know what? I don't know if I want to say more about that. Okay. So, um, it do- at least it, right now. <laughs> it connects extremely tangentially to the confirmation. Oh, do you want to go to that? There, I, there right are, there's a lot more feedback in here. Uh, so you want to zip oh, the mailbag? What more feedback do you want to talk about? Well, do you want to zip it back up and come back to it later? Well, why don't you point out the thing that you said there was a lot more in here? Why don't you point out what you're talking about? Do you know what's happened to me recently? What? I, I have to admit that, like, I can't. I can't like look at my phone without taking my glasses off. Oh yeah. You know, and if I hold it up close, I do have to hold it a little bit away. It's happened, yeah. Joe. It's okay. happened. So you need reading glasses. No, I don't need reading glasses. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I definitely read fine, but I cannot, um, yeah, I can't read with my regular glasses on. <sighs> okay. You just, okay. Today, gentle listener, this is the episode <laughs> where Christian insists on saying what I've said using different words. What I just said, reading glasses. So in other words, you'd be using a different way to relate your eye ability to your text needs, okay? Removing the glasses you have on now yeah. is, a, is a step toward wearing reading glasses as opposed to wearing the glasses you're wearing right now. Well, this just shows my ignorance, and I, I, will, I will admit to ignorance here. I thought that reading glasses were glasses which provided some assistance to the eye in reading. They do, and it... And if you need glasses for other reasons, as you do and I do, then the kind of magnification assistance you're going to get from reading glasses has to be combined and harmonized with the other assistance your eyes happen to need, which is why you can't just go and get, you could, it would be a bad idea in my opinion, you could go grab a pair of readers from CVS or something like that. Uh, I think that would not help you at all. Um, I, but I, it would provide some magnification, but but that's yeah. you need magnification that's contextualized for the other problems that your eyes have. I but I'm I'm nearsighted, as am I, and so I I I don't understand. I guess I don't understand what reading glasses are. <laughs> I, I guess I just don't understand because I, because if, you know any any. It's a prescription that would allow, if, if I've got my, re- I don't have them with me right now, yes. but I, if I took off these glasses, which okay. are my normal glasses. This is, this is going to be a classic segment of the show. But, I, I need to, the, I think we should put it down a marker here okay. so we can always find this segment because Great. this is going to, people are going to request this. I love they're it. Gonna, they're going to snip it out. It's going to go it. in like podcast classics yeah. of 2018. I wish there were video. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the glasses that I wear to deal with my nearsightedness, okay. I just keep them on, right? It, I I don't. Yeah. I, I could get across a room without them on, but I certainly couldn't operate a vehicle with uh, with them off. Um, oh, you could, just not well, <laughs> not for long. I mean, <laughs> it, I would definitely have a crash pretty quickly. Uh, and to read text with these on, I have to hold the text further away, right? So if I take these off, I would have to move the text closer to be able to see it clearly. Yes. Right. Um, if I had my reading glasses on, which is a different prescription, yes, and it deals with my eyes, so it's dealing with some of the problems my eyes have because of my nearsightedness, but also problems I have because I need reading glasses, which is needing mag- magnification assistance, um, then I would be able to hold it further away and still be able to read it clearly. I wouldn't need to hold it as close as I need to hold it if I don't have any reading glasses on. But I would not need to hold it as far away as I need to hold it if I have my regular glasses on. Here's my question. Which makes the print very small. Can you drive with your reading glasses on? Um, 
I think I could drive better with my reading glasses than with no glasses because part of what they have is addressed to my particular eyesight needs. It's, so it's not just reading glasses in the generic sense. It's prescription reading glasses, mm-hmm. a prescription unique to me, as yours would be to you. But it would be a reading glasses prescription, not a regular nearsightedness glasses prescription. I, um, this is the notion of bifocals, for example. Yeah, I know about bifocals. And, and so and if you're just talking about bifocals, that would be... Where both of the uh, types of lens <laughs> are di- have different prescriptions. It's not just that one is a magnifying glass, for example. Right, I would need zero for the reading glass part. No, I disagree. I think what you're finding is you need reading glasses. And you're certainly of the age where people typically begin to need them. That's what I don't understand, because if I take my glasses off, I can read just fine. I don't need any help reading. Okay. Hmm. I I bet the distance at which you're holding things is different than it used to be, and you don't quite realize that. If you're like most other people, that would be the case. Uh, But but again, you say that you you take off your glasses and you don't need reading assistance. I I mean, I can hold it like here. You know, I don't know, Joe. I don't know. I mean, are you trying to say I'm not exceptional? Because I'm trying to encourage you. My mother tells me I'm exceptional. And you are in many ways. And I agree with her on that. But I do also want to encourage you to um, to uh, take good care of your your uh, eye sight and your eye health and see an ophthalmologist and. Get, maybe get an exam to to see if you might benefit from a diff, an, an additional kind of uh, pair of glasses. All right. I think I'm fine, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you want to... So what do you want to talk about next? I don't want to talk about feedback anymore. Okay. So let's, let's, let's zip it up. Let's zip it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, 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 was, I, was, I, you know, I was reading John Gruber's review of the Apple Watch this morning. Oh. There's a new kind of Apple Watch, right? Yeah. And, the latest edition. Of and I've never, like, they, you know, I think it's it's interesting, yeah, uh, but it's never been a product that's been attractive to me, even as, like, you know, I've, I've been kind of an Apple nerd yeah. since 2000. you're not really a watch wearer. No, I don't wear a watch. Um, but and it just struck me, like, how great his blog is. I, I mm. remember back in, you know, around 2000 or so, uh, or 19, yeah, late 1990s where, you know, the Apple death watch stuff was really big, um, right as Steve Jobs came back. I remember reading a number of posts of his and thinking, wow, this this is really amazing. Yeah. And well, just tech journalism in, in like the late 90s, early 2000s, during that first phase of Steve, um, was just so awful. It was just so... Um, not everybody. I think I think Andy right. Anaka was writing back then. There was, But there was a certain kind of... Like everybody knows, I don't want to mention any names. I have names in mind, but like there's a certain kind of like PC <laughs> journalism of people who went to like Comdex and what's the other big one in Vegas that's the big consumer electronics show, I think mm. CES, right? And oh, yeah. the, the way people would write about these gadgets. But and, he didn't do that. Gruber didn't do that. No, well, he didn't. I, I forget exactly when he got started, but it was not like it wasn't right when Steve came during back. During Fireball. During right? Fireball, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what's like, you know, so. He's always been like an app, like a pro Apple blogger, from according to some people, and I don't really see it as an Apple blog. Although you know, his story, you know, his story, his beat in tech has always been yeah. Apple and Apple related things. Right. But part of that is kind of like 
that's the story of the 2000s, right? And into the early 2010s. Right. Like there's just, there are very few other players that actually mattered in terms of the direction of the market. They're, you know, it was important that those other players are there. Right. But for a bunch of markets, like, you know, the story of tech was the story of Apple. Um, and the and the ecosystem, the Apple ecosystem of, of hardware and software uh, is sufficiently complex and interesting that, it it merits that's like that's a legit news beat yeah and I mean, he had big enough and complex enough to to do that he had kind of the courage to to uh write unabashedly about how far ahead apple was in terms of tech like he did every other site that you went to had to it seems had to like say well you know apple does this well but also this dell dj diddy competitor could be an ipod killer right and they talk so it's always like <laughs> and, you know and, right and time and time again, like, nope. like you know, and and, and oh, even but there's this Zoom, yeah, even competitors that eventually like got some market share, they got it because they went to where Apple was, you know, whether it's the elimination of this port, you know, how could you eliminate the serial port from a laptop? Like, and I am, I'm, I think you know, I think competition's an incredibly important uh, driver, yeah, of consumer benefit and innovation, and so I, I'm the last person who would criticize. Um, attention paid to other people trying to get into a market space yeah uh to compete and try to do as well or better and many of them will not succeed in doing as well or better some will um depends on the product depends on the time um but yeah get in there and try to do something better and to gruber's credit i I, he will consistently like if there's an interesting new competitor we'll say so you know we'll also say what's wrong with it he'll say what's wrong with apple stuff too um, so, you know, when, when Palm had its, what was the name of the Palm? It was Palm OS, wasn't it? Um, when they were, uh, uh, what was that thing? They, they had the cards, you know, this was their phone before they went bust. They had about a year where there was this new oh, Palm. I didn't realize they had a phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was, so the Palm Pilot had some telephone It wasn't the Palm Pilot anymore. It was something else, right? Uh, and, and it was like a lot more, it was really advanced, like in terms, it, it rethought the user interface mm-hmm. at a time. It didn't just ape the iPhone, like it was, right. but their their logistics weren't good. They couldn't figure it out. Like right. they couldn't actually ship these products. I don't remember the Palm Pilot. That stylus and that alphabet they had. Oh, that seemed like magic, didn't it? Yeah, they really did some interesting stuff. It it really did seem like magic. So what? So what about the phone? I mean the uh, the uh, the watch. Well, the watch is interesting to me now because I um you know I started kind of exercising regularly and doing other things where having the the watch would be mm. like helpful. Sure. Um, um, especially with the AirPods. Have you have you used the AirPods yet? I have. Yeah, they're just like, I think it's the best product they've shipped in a long time. And they have like, un, they've shipped some duds, um, Apple has recently. So, you know, there have been some problems, right? Uh, and, and maybe that's just the nature of the industry. Maybe it's the nature of a maturing company, what have you. But like the AirPods are like a great product. And, and yet they too attracted like, it's like the initial kind of uh, skeptical journalism that, like people feel they have to be. I always, I, I always felt like Gruber was a little bit like, um, like John Stewart on The Daily Show. Like you know, is calling out like media bias because for a long time he would call out these, um, uh, these truly like BS tech columns, which would, which would hedge and say, mm. you know, this company is going to take over. The I, 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 I wish I could have. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of good examples right now, but. Um, and uh, so, you know, the AirPods came out. Well, they're going to get lost, right? Or, you know, this, another stupid looking thing or another dumb idea, et cetera. And of course, it's not right. Whereas there are other products that, you know, haven't. I think the first generation Apple Watch was not good, um, at least 
to me. I think it had a lot of issues. I think the user interface, it was like a product that they might not have shipped 10 years ago. Mm. Like they might've kept internal for another couple of years. But anyway, all that aside. So the, the new thing is kind of, is, is, is interesting to me. Um, but I was thinking when I was reading, it's just a very well-written review. Mm. And it reminded me of why I liked his, I like his blog so much. I just, you know, I pretty much go there once a day to kind of check out what he's, what he's posted. And it's, it seems like he's, you know, you look at his reviews, you look at the other things he posts, and it's not so much about Apple. It's really like a blog for people. It's a blog about people who care deeply about things. Because, mm. you know, he's a total design nerd, right? Typography nerd. Um, also a big Kubrick fan, right? So, like, it's it's not the, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it, you know, it's an idiosyncratic attention to things that he cares about, but things that he cares about where the people who make them care. You know what I mean? Yes. So, um, I will admit I started daydreaming as soon as you used the word typography. So you lost me a little bit there, but yeah. I, I followed the general point. But you can imagine other people who are interested in other things. Because I, have I a, could dream about typography all Who day. have a daring fireball type focus on those things, right? Yeah. His is in film, computers, typography, design. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's done a little bit of politics too, but it's, it's always about like caring very much about, or, or at least being interested in people who care very much about, who are hyper, atten- hyper attentive to details. For example, you can imagine creating a shrine in your home to Matthew Butterick mm-hmm. and all his typographical stuff. And, and you're not talking about Matthew Broderick. Um, Correct. Star in War Games. Correct. Uh, uh, among which you've things. already obliquely mentioned about, you know, the way to win this game is not play. Thank mm-hmm. you, Joshua. Um, no, I'm talking about Matthew Butterick, um, who strides uh, the typography earth uh, like Colossus. Um, yeah. Like you could build a shrine to him in your house and you could not show it to anybody. I should not it's have a even embarrassing. I should not even, even have mentioned typography. And then you can like you can leave various like, you know, like fruit and sweet rice cakes and other things on the shrine and you can burn incense and you can, but you don't want to show it to anybody else because it's a little embarrassing. Right. But you could do that. Yeah. I, I know I'm going to listen back to this and like what you, you were very articulate there and I know I've been dancing around. like, I can't like, I'm saying this, I'm saying that, and I'm not really getting at what I'm trying to say. Mm, what are you trying to I say? I, it just like reading him reminded me of, you get one more shot and yes. then we have to go to a different topic. Yes. It's just like, I love people who just love things. Right. Who just, you know, whether whether it's like the pizza maker who uh, builds a, a, a pizza oven, gets it all set up, is dissatisfied with the pizzas that are produced and then disassembles the whole thing and then reships a whole bunch, a whole new pizza oven from Italy or something like that. Mm. Like this, this, that, that like absolutely almost mad attention to caring about something like and and the blog his blog is one window into kind of that world in fact that pizza story is real there was Mm. this thing and it was on his blog that i saw that like years ago (laughs) right um and that was like it also was steve jobs right and it's not like there are no faults with this there, there are never any problems it's just it's to me it's so compelling and it feels so human and it feels so real and and in a way that like makes me happier about life um to think that, that there are people who are that attentive to these, like we are wealthy enough and, um, and lucky enough to live in a time where people can devote their attention to these small details. Right. And, yeah. and be, and to have that kind of, uh, love and, and passion and right. really be able to pursue it. And there are people who care this much about like cars and watches and other things that I don't really care about at all. Right. But 
Ah, um, so it's sort of an overlap between the stuff that you do find fun and interesting and then seeing right. someone who's dedicated to those things. Right. Like film, so you I have a special about. access to that. Yeah, film. Like, so, you know, it's, it's, it's no accident like that uh, Gruber and I are kind of contemporaries, right? That we're roughly the same age. We grew up, you know, we grew up at the same time. Yeah, we're, so we're, some of the cultural references are yeah, the same. We grew up and, yeah. with like D&D and arcades and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? right. And so... Um, uh, so it's so it's more of like a, a a meta genre, like the genre of people who care deeply about things, applied to the subgenre of things that I happen to care about because of my particular station in life, right? When I grew up and the kind yeah, of things I'm interested in. Taste. But like, I mean, it's you, not just it's not just that, but like part of my tastes are a product of when I grew up and, course, and who I course. am. The fact that I was a boy who grew up in you know um, suburban South Carolina at a particular time of life. You know, that's I am what I am partly because of that. Mm -hmm. And if I were interested in in knitting and cars and watches, maybe there would be a different blog that would be just, you know, exactly which would kind of tickle the same meta impulses that I have while Mm -hmm. focusing on a genre that I care about more. So um, cool. So there's that. And P.S. Because I got into this um, conversation with um, I forget who started it, but but Ian and I on Twitter went back and forth about this. What is the best iPhone, Joe? I don't know. How, Someone don't, wanted to rank the iPhone. Maybe it was a Dar- originally a Darth tweet. I don't even know what you're asking. Like iPhone one, they iPhone three G. Oh, so what? What? What do you think is top in the is history peak of iPhone? Yeah, in the history of iPhone. I don't think that's a meaningful question. And because you're, you're assuming you can make a trans iPhone, you know, comparison and categorization and hierarchy. And I just don't think that's true. I mean, the product has experienced enormous change over time. Right. So I just don't think that's a meaningful question. The answer is iPhone 5. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I only mention this because I think I have a very, uh, as far as I can tell, no one else says this. Most people will say the original iPhone, I think that's a class in of itself. A lot of people say iPhone 4. And that was the first one to be Retina with the Retina screen. Mm. It had the glass front and the glass. I, I think right. it was 4S which had the glass back. I forget. But the, Was you know. the 5 the one that was, um, it had that sort of aluminum band all the way around. And mm-hmm. so if you were looking at it laying flat on a table, it would seem like just a, a slab yeah. of something. And then it had the very rounded, all four of the corners were very rounded. And yeah. It was very flat. Yes. Was that, was that yes, the 5? Be- because the 6 is when they went to the bigger screen. Yeah. The 5 was pretty great. But again, I just think it's not... I mean, the, you know, the interface changes and the, the apps change. And That's the, true. I mean, each one is... Do, do you have a best iPod? No. See, I, I think I have the same answer for both of these. I mean, the, so, so I... I mean, to me, the iPod is all about that, that early click wheel. Mm-hmm being the sort of amazing thing um it wasn't originally a click wheel it was just a wheel right it was an actual wheel that turned and then it became the click wheel yeah and i think of this uh, the, the click wheel is it sort of reaching this <laughs> the 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 kind of like a perfect form um so for that one i feel like it maybe it, maybe that one changed less so i um, feel like the high resolution screen of the iphone 4 is really 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 important okay but I think that for both the iPod and the iPhone, 
maybe no one else cares about this, but like it's super interesting to me. And, and I don't know why. See, I at, can't the point, at that point, but, the iPhone, were they even still making iPods? They probably were, but I, but I, yeah, they, they, they were, they were still they, making iPod touches, but yeah. And there's just like, why? And, and then the shuffle, anymore. I think they had a shuffle. Yes. That's, but and then they had the iPod that was a little clip. Yeah. That's like the iPod would, shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here, but hear me out. That was cute. Hear me out. There have been two devices like this where I have picked them up. And just been blown away by thinking this is like magic. Mm. And one of those was the iPod Mini. Okay. So the so the original iPod was really cool. Like I, I got it, and I think I got a second generation iPod. And just having that music and like I just it was like unreal. It really right? was great. In the same way that pro- the original iPhone was unreal. Yeah. Like what it could do. Totally. <laughs> but when I you know I think I got an iPod Mini from Meredith for Christmas or birthday or something like that. I don't even remember what the Mini looked like. The Mini was the one that had the, it was like one piece of like aluminum that had the rounded corners. So it looked like a... um, Oh, it looked almost like a little remote control. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. And and if you look at it now, it wouldn't look so small, I think. Mm. But at the time it did and had that little, you know, had that little screen with the iPod interface. Mm. But the thing was so small. Like it was like a small remote control, you know. You know what remotes were like back then. Yeah, it was like the, it was like the shape of a remote but shrunk down. Yeah, it, it was like a, um, a a tube with with round wrecked corners, like yeah. rounded corners, right? And yeah, so you you like you could look at it and say, God, who made this remote so small? <laughs> right. But I remember like turning it on for the first time, seeing that screen, having this thing in my hand, knowing how many songs were on, and just thinking this is magic. It just yeah. felt like magic, e- even in a way that the first iPod didn't. Mm. Uh, even though the first iPod is totally cool and was magical right. in many ways. Like, and I felt this. It's the first time I picked up an iPhone five. So the real difference between the iPhone four and iPhone five. This is now an Apple podcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, and the iPhone 5, when you picked it up. Gosh, I wish I had felt these in my like, head right now. It felt like um, you were picking up a demo model that had styrofoam in it. Like you, It felt like you were picking up one that was made out of styrofoam because it was so much lighter mm. and compact than the iPhone 4. It was like, okay, so this is, this is what they're going to produce, but yeah. they've left the iPhone out of it. And it was just like the to me it was like the perfect iteration of that cycle before was six they went to the, the one phones? where it got where they That's suddenly were introducing the bigger the ones. bigger one yeah and so you're right I mean the, the so I don't think I'm I had not, the five S I actually didn't have the five I'm not on board with this five is the best but but the the, the I'm not saying the best I, I'm saying well I don't know what I'm saying that is how you started like, yeah, was yeah, like yeah, which yeah, was yeah, the best yeah. one I know, I know so but there's this like. There are these the, these inflection points, and you're right. the 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 hand feel, yeah, of the five was an inflection point mm-hmm. of of power and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, and it's in my hand, and you can barely tell that it's there. You can barely tell it's there, and I even prefer like the rounded edges of the current phones. But there was just something about that phone, which is, oh, my God, they've totally nailed this, right? right? In, in a way, which is like, it's just better in every way. And it, yeah, there, it scratched and there were problems. I think that may have been the original iPhone 5, may have been the antenna But would you one. trade the one that you have now for that oh, one? Oh, absolutely not. Or would, would I trade the one I have now for the iPod mini? Absolutely not, right? right. No, but I, I'm just thinking of... So there's that sense in which they're not the best. Right? Right. Because there are some things that you, you, you would, I mean... The, what I'm really remembering is a time when this company, just like I could think of a lot, a lot of other companies or individuals who are producing things, whether it's legal scholarship or, or pizzas or whatever else, I'm thinking of a time when, you know, oh my God, this group at this time in this way 
utterly nailed it. Yeah. Like they did something truly great, right? Yeah. And I know it seems yeah. like for a lot of people, they it seems really like really stuck it, the landing. Yeah, they for a lot really of people, it's going it. to seem trivial because it's just a damn phone. And like you know, I get that. Like it's not like a rocket launch. Although you know, we could talk about that as well. I love rockets. <laughs> um, Man, but, is he like, melting down? You know, it's it's really it's like the. It's these small things, and of course, smartphones have changed the world. So it's, they're not—they're yeah. not small, but it's—it's it's the small things about that phone, and you know, you can just imagine the amount of effort that went into taking something as, as kind of heavy and bulky as the iPhone four seemed, and the four S seemed after you had the five into right. something which like felt like magic. Like there've been very few of those moments. Not even when I saw the ten did I think this is magical. Like, it is magical in a lot of ways. It's really great. I get that, right? But like. I don't know. I, those are two times. Okay. So that's my argument for the iPhone 5. Nice. Even though I had the 5S. Okay. Um, I hear you. And I, I don't know. I just, I, at this time, like when I feel so disconnected from so many things and I feel a lot of pessimism, mm. like it helps me to, to think about instances where people got together in whatever context and did something great together. Mm. Right. And, Stuff that I know, stories I know about. And I remember those times when everybody is also sniping at the same time. Like for an Apple nerd, there was never a time where people would say, yeah, Apple's great. Like it was always either Apple's going to go out of business or Apple's passe. There was never a moment in between where people are like, boy, Apple is nailing it, right? Um, You can find examples, but like, you know, when you look at the tech press, it's, mm, anyway, it's what it is. And, And so I like thinking about those times where there was some kind of adversity and people didn't care about it and they just absolutely nailed it. And so his uh, post on the watch reminded you of all that. Yeah, because the watch is not at all a perfect product, but it, so it's interesting because it's a review about how this is the one product where Apple doesn't make the nicest thing, mm. right? Because you can get much nicer watches, but it's the best kind of tech watch that you can get, the best mm. so-called smartwatch, even I hate that term, but it's the right. best like, you know, computer watch. But it's not like the nicest watch. So it's a really good explanation where you can, he's kind of playing with these ideas about what it is that makes Apple Apple, um, what that means these days, what it wants to do with this. I, I found it like super interesting. Um, and I always love his writing. I think he's great. Hmm. <sighs> Confirmation fight. Mm. From the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, I, but maybe by the time I think I'm probably going to ship this Sunday morning. Oh, tomorrow morning. Uh, so yeah. anything could have happened. We're recording this Saturday at five ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday, September twenty second. Right. So who knows if there is a Supreme Court by the time you're listening to this? <laughs> could have been disbanded. Yeah. It could have been doubled in size. Mm-hmm. Um. We could all be on Mars. Who knows? But what did you want to say about our current confirmation? Um, well, I mean, relating back to Bedlam, where we started, it's just been surprising to hear the nature of the arguments that people are making. <laughs> right? And, and it, 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 it... Yeah. And it, there are... So there are the arguments that, the, um, that like Grassley and other Republican politicians are making, which I can just dismiss as garbage. But... There are arguments that I hear from conservatives who I think, you know, are certainly arguing in good faith that just don't seem to me to be reasonable in this context. And so what what facet of the confirmation process are we talking about right now? Well, so so there has been an allegation. Ah, so we're talking. We're, there's been an allegation. This is after the original hearings. There was, you know, there was a FBI background check. There are some hearings. 
there were a lot of objections by Democrats that um, uh, that the documents from uh, Kavanaugh's time in the White House weren't released, that things weren't proceeding in regular order. No, after the hearings, after the, uh, the um, live questions hearings, uh, after that, those few days concluded, there was also a set of written questions and answers to those questions. I think mm-hmm. that also transpired. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that, by the way, seems high, seems quite conventional to me at this point, that, that there would be these hearings and, you know, everyone would be getting ready for the hearings and there would be the hearings. There would be fights about the documents involved at the hearings. The, the fights about the documents in the past were, were, were very brief and large and ended largely by people turning over lots of documents. So I think this, what was unusual about this one vis-a-vis the documents was the degree to which m- very large uh, amounts of, uh, large numbers of documents were withheld. On yeah. various grounds. And partly because he um, worked in the White House and there's a, you know, there have been other nominees who've worked in the White House, but, you know, the National Archives was kind of not involved in its normal way. So th- yeah. there are lots of arguments people had about, like, what kind of information should we get given the kind of job that he had in the past? And I don't, you know, that's not worth going into right, uh, right but now. But that had all come to an end. Yes, and so we were in the we were in the period where there was going to be a, a regular uh, a sort of a regular judiciary committee business meeting, and then there and would they would be vote a week as a later there would yeah. be a vote in the committee, and then sometime later there would be a vote on the floor of the Senate, and it was sort of heading toward yeah. that conclusion. Because everybody knows, I mean, you know, the president nominates and um, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate appoints, so the the Senate has to vote as a chamber to. The word we use these days is confirm the appointment. Right. And uh, that happens usually. I don't, has it ever not happened this way where the Senate Judiciary Committee, maybe maybe in the early days, but like in, in recent history, I think there's never been anybody who's been uh, confirmed directly from the floor without referral from the Senate Judiciary Committee. Has there? No, I'm not recalling anyone. You know, L- Lori that description. No, it could, no, it could, I think technically um, a, the 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 whole body could take up a nomination even had it even where it had failed. In of course, uh, but um, all you need is is a vote to confirm by the Senate. Right, the Senate has its own internal rules and procedures that that might make it difficult. Which of course procedurally, it, which of course it can change. Which of course it can change. Which right. is why I say, yeah. even if a nominee fit, nominee for this or, or anything else, cabinet secretary, undersecretary, whatever, right, a nominee can fail in committee and nevertheless get taken up by the full body if right. that's the full body's desire. Now that's the formal status, but everybody knows that Mitch McConnell is kind of running the show. So. It seems. Um, so, so that's, that's where we are. We were at the stage where they thought there was going to be a vote by the Judiciary Committee, which would be a positive vote because it would be straight party lines. Correct. And it would go to the Senate where there'd be a straight party line vote. Correct. And there's no filibuster because that was removed, um, by McConnell, um, in response to the removal right. by Harry Reid of filibuster on other items, you know, so it's just, right. you know, at least arguably. Now, the only complicating tat. factor v- before the, the Ford, uh, allegation was, the this sort of the difficulties of Senator Mikowski, Senator Collins, both with the people in their state, with representations they had made as senators earlier, and how they were going to try to square the circle of the fact that Kavanaugh as a nominee presented some real difficulties for them on issues they had said that they cared about. And nevertheless, they're being under this enormous pressure mm-hmm. uh, on all the Republicans in the chamber to uh, vote to confirm. And so that hadn't quite f- finished playing out yet. 
Like, how is that all going to work? Right. Uh, when the Ford allegation, you know, sort of hit like a, like a, an asteroid. So sometimes, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're not a new show, but like the quick summary is that sometime early in the summer, I think in June, uh, maybe before that, uh, Dianne Feinstein and um, Representative uh, Eshu. Eshu from, um, who I think it's like the- She wrote to Eshu first. I, mean, I think it was actually Alto Eshu who forwarded yeah. the letter to Senator Feinstein. She's a representative for that kind of Palo Alto. Um, I, I don't know how far the district extends on the peninsula, but- She's the representative for that area. So there was a letter um, from Dr. Ford making this allegation. And, and no, I have, no one's seen the letter itself. There's just been reporting about the letter. And uh, and she's talked to the Washington Post. So the we, we know yeah. what her allegation was is. Was the letter not itself reproduced at some point? I think it uh, might have been in well, the newspaper. Well, I think Grass, but... Grassley's still complaining that he's not seen the actual letter. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, at least as of now, as of Saturday, um, although I haven't checked Twitter. You know, but yeah, the started. big, I mean, the, the and then, of course, there was the Washington Post story of six days ago. Was it really only six days ago? Um, I think it was. Uh, that connected Dr. Ford's name with the letter that had gotten to Senator Feinstein, which yeah. she then gave to the FBI, which put it in Kavanaugh's file, which went to the White so House. So I don't and, remember when exactly. I think it was a few weeks ago. There started to be rumors that there was a letter of some kind that Feinstein yes, had. Yes, but Dr. Ford's name had not yet been connected with it. it nor, had the, the, nor had the nature of the allegation been connected to it. Right. Uh, I don't remember reading anything about an alleged rape or attempted rape. Nor uh, do I. Uh, I think before I, last weekend. Yeah. You know, who knows? I, I don't remember what the kind of the rumors were. So anyway, so so the so the letter leaks to the Washington Post. The Washington Post also talks to her, uh, to Doctor Ford, and what we don't know yet is yeah. who leaked the letter. Um, the yeah, Republicans, Ryan, Ryan Grimm, I think Buzzfeed was the one who was he at his Buzzfeed or is he at the I don't Intercept? Know. Now I can't remember. But the the there was so the, over the course of a few days, this stuff. Reporters are starting to approach her. Places, you know, colleagues she works with, that people are starting to get the idea that yeah. she, Dr. Ford, is somehow the person involved. And so it's all sort of starting to, multiple reporters are, are following source. The reason I mention that and the reason I take the moment to mention that in particular is, as I think I said on Twitter the other day, one, one part of the dynamic that's going on here is that there are a lot of reporters who now have a great interest in digging at all of this stuff as hard as they can, as fast as they can. Yeah. And it seems to me that that ought to inform people's decision making in a way that it doesn't yet seem to inform their decision making. So so deciding, for example, just to give you an example, deciding, hey, you know, to hell with it. Um, let's not have a hearing. Let's just have a vote. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's not going to stop any of these reporters from continuing to dig. And so wouldn't you want a process that took into account the fact that more facts are going to continue to develop because people are now have every reason to dig as hard yeah, and as fast at them as they can. Well, I, I think maybe the thinking is that if he is confirmed, then so first of all, it may be the allegation may be false, right? Of, of and, course and it so may. may. That's why people are trying and, to and report so, the story so, out. So if they just if he gets confirmed before the midterms, it solves a lot of their problems. And then when, if even if people keep digging, they'll never find anything. So that that may be what they're thinking. They may also be thinking that no matter maybe. no matter what the truth, I don't you know maybe they don't know the truth. No matter what the truth, if he's on the court 
at least some portion of these people will be less interested in it. There'll be less ap- appetite for it. That I'm not saying that's true, maybe. And then maybe like Trump attacks Venezuela the next week and suddenly like, you know, who cares about any of this? Uh, and pretty soon, it, may, maybe 10 years from now, there'll be a retrospective piece by some reporter who's trying to dig, dig this up again, but he's already on the court at that point. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe. Um, I think they're discounting the way that the um, uh, the, the way that the Garland um, uh, debacle has completely upset people's notion of the political accountability of the court. I, I don't think it's out of the question that if the allegation is true, they put him on the court anyway. I don't think it's out of the question there could be an impeachment. I agree with down you. the road. So I think that they're N- not only is it not out of the question. I think it's all I've already seen it referenced. So people are discussing it in a way that they that it wouldn't have occurred to people. Yeah. In prior, yeah, this is the weird thing about cycles. Like, I, I think McConnell thinks a, a win now is you know it's kind of bird in the hand is better than one in the bush. Is that the saying or whatever it is? And, yeah, and so maybe he's thinking maybe like a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. But but yeah. and that, I mean all so things equal. Worth, I suppose worth that, two point four, one point five. And <laughs> I suppose that's true. It, all yeah. things equal, but all things aren't equal, and it's the things have been unleashed. Uh, that I, I think he's discounting that. I, I I think he's unduly discounting that. I don't think he. Yeah, we agree about uh, that. Yeah, I know, we've talked about it before. Like you know, there's never a last hit. You know, um, but uh, okay. So, so, so why one, are we talking set, about this? Because one set of questions that people <laughs> one set one set of questions people have raised, right? And especially conservatives, like they like they just think there's something um, not just unseemly, but like it shows the kind of the conniving cynical nature of Feinstein in particular to have sat on this letter and then leaked it. Feinstein says that it was, you know, that Dr. Ford did not want to come forward and she had an obligation to keep it quiet until right. and unless Dr. Ford said otherwise. Did, but, didn't but that's didn't want case, to. And my understanding is the letter itself said that like, it wasn't just some assumption or some understanding, but the letter itself to issue that had gotten passed along to Feinstein, mm-hmm. I think it has been reported that it said, I do not want to have my name attached to this. Right. So is it, so people aren't just imagining things, right? If the, if the author who, of the letter who, come, who, who says, I have this information, also says, and I don't want my name attached to it, you, you have to decide to honor that or not. I mean, you can't not decide to honor that or not. You're the, now faced, right. faced with that decision. Right. The criticism that they waited until the 11th hour and should have come forward in, early in the summer is, is garbage. Like that's garbage. But the, but the, but the additional criticism is that, that they, that, that it was cynical because they in fact did release it. What they say is at the 11th hour, even though there's like, there's no 12th hour, like it's totally like self-created and self-imposed. Like there's no mm, deadline right, right, on right. this, right. Other than the midterm. Yeah, like, you it's know, just so an hour. It's yeah. just an hour. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that said, like, you know, they wait until after the hearings when there wouldn't be t- you know, so, so that they released it. Now, this depends on an empirical fact, right, that this political actor, in fact, leaked the letter. And we, so we don't know this. I think the most natural inference is that someone on the Democrat staff leaked or talked to somebody or did I, but or maybe Feinstein you herself. Mean, what I got no reporters starting to look that eventually led them to be in California asking questions in Dr. Ford's right. milieu that prompted her right. to say, okay, this is about to spin out of control. The letter I'm itself, about to be attached to the it The letter anyway. itself or the details of the letter right. were, were leaked. Now, so the, something got people, something got reporters on the trail of that. And you're asking, what was that thing? And, and what I'm saying is that the, the more legitimate concern of conservatives I've seen is that Democrats are cynically playing games by doing this leak late in the game. And um, I, I think, th- again, the, the charge that they should have come forward earlier with this is nonsense. But 
Um, but and they're using this as evidence that they don't really care about her, right? That they don't really care about Dr. Ford. Yeah, who doesn't? The Democrats who leaked this. And so make, Republicans are arguing the Democrats don't really care about her, and you can tell because of the late hour at which they right. leaked it. And, and this this kind of confirms the idea that everybody in Washington is playing a cynical game. That there is no no one is actually interested in the truth. And which, of course, leads to the further like feeling like there is no political truth and therefore mm. none of it matters. It's a, and this is like the road. This is like the Hannah Arendt road toward authoritarianism that right. bothers me so much. Yes, right. Yes. And uh, so I actually think that they're wrong about this. But there, it is an empirical question. Like who leaked this? Um, is it like I, I can imagine there's someone on the staff who knew about this, who was so morally troubled by the who idea. Who had seen the letter. Who had seen the letter and was so morally troubled by the idea that. Um, you're about to confirm someone who, you know, and they read their letter as credible. For all I know, they could have talked to her. I don't know. I mean, yeah. we haven't, I haven't seen those interviews yet. I yeah, haven't seen we, a lot of interest in who leaked it and why. Um, but it is, you know, it, do we, are we sure it was a Democrat? That's, we don't, that's exactly right. I mean, like, it we don't seems know. to me it could have been, I mean, strictly speaking, given that it had been turned over to the FBI, it could have been someone at the FBI. It could have well, been someone inside when, the White House. So it could, have been, the raised, staff, could exactly, have been someone on the Republican So when conservatives have raised this with me, um, you know, like, you know, if they really cared about it, they wouldn't have leaked. If they really cared, cared about her and this, they wouldn't have leaked it. This was a betrayal of blah, blah, blah. I said, like, how, where is the reporting about who leaked it? Now, they may be right. It may be that some cynical Democrat leaked this who whose only like whose only motive was like game theoretic winning of a Supreme Court battle. That's possible. Right. But like, right. why would that be your first inference? It, it could be a Republican. It could be it's doubtful, but it could be it could be anybody like i don't know who it was it could have been someone you know I, it actually know. couldn't have been anybody i mean there were a limited number of human beings yeah. who ha, who who that's, would know what was true. in the letter and uh, so that that's you true. can you can draw a circle around but there's there's the, a great daily the show point is, there's a great daily show joke about that where there's some cnn report about how you know if it was whose baby was something and they're saying it could be anybody <laughs> and, and john stewart comes back and says really anybody <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah to so a first approximation, my universal, you know, was was too universal. Uh, it, there's a lot of people in Washington who had uh, reason to know, who had basis to know, access to that letter, and could have made a decision to try to reveal it to somebody. There's also a reporter somewhere who knows who that person was, and who and who may also know that it was the first time it happened. For all we know, that it was there, shared. For all we know, there was someone who was sharing with the reporter the fact that this letter existed and on background kind of what the letter said and then called Dr. Ford and asked, would you talk to this reporter? Would that be okay for me to give you, to give that reporter your name? I, I, like that could have happened. I sure. have no idea. Again, we all, yeah. So why are we talking about this? Because it, it's, I think the larger story here is, is over the, like what explains the absolutely absurd positions that various people have taken mm. in this thing. And I, and I, and this is one where I don't think it's symmetric. I think the, you know, Grassley is acting in a way that I just can't explain by any kind of reason. <laughs> like, um, be, because the, um, so the, the hard issue is suppose the allegation is true. Suppose that it is true. And suppose that, um, we're in a situation where Kavanaugh says, you know what? That might've happened. I was a heavy drinker at that time. It was a different time. And, um, it sounds terrible to me. I don't remember it in particular, but here's the man I am today. And, right. you know, so, and in then you have words, a, in other words, we're imagining a very different response from the one he's actually given today thus far, which is yeah. the categorical denial. Right. So, and, and, a, and a potential 
that either he or someone close to him or someone on the Republican judiciary staff or someone close to them has been cooking up this uh, doppelganger theory much mm-hmm. in the news um, to, to ride alongside the categorical denial. This is um, Ed Whelan who, yeah. To, 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 which when you add, you know, categorical denial plus doppelganger facilitates, she may believe this and it may have even happened, but it wasn't him. Right. Which some have speculated is a desideratum of those who don't want to re uh, sort of uh, call, calling her a liar or calling her crazy or call, you know, saying things that seem more awkward and potentially. Well, I was going to get there because I, I, I think that, you know, had he admitted it, or said that this is definitely possible and this is the kind of, you know, he kind of remembers something like this and, you know, he's ashamed of, and maybe he'd even like apologized over the year. If a thing like this had come up in that context, I think we'd be facing a very difficult question about whether someone who committed this kind of crime at that age and yet has lived a very different kind of life, like whether we can overlook that in the assignment of a Supreme Court seat, right? I mean, I, I think... It's certainly a more difficult question than the one we are now confronting. Yes. I think people could also vary on the degree to which they actually view that as a difficult question. Of of course. Relative relative to the one we're facing now, it is more difficult. Right. But I just want to like – I actually don't think it's particularly difficult. But yeah, it just given the number of other people you could choose who would be as great at the job. Part of this is my belief that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who could do this job as well or better than he will or as well or better than any randomly chosen, extremely qualified lawyer would do the job. Yeah. So my only hesitation is that, like, I think we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done. Of, yes, and and, um, and 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 all and, people, and, are, and we've and all we're done also bad not things. as good as the best thing we've ever done, uh, right? And we and we when we are, um, we've all done bad things. Yes. we've all done things we regret, yep. and we're all complicated, ridiculous monkeys yep. in, in some ways. And um, <laughs> and so like, <laughs> I'm on board with all that. How we judge each other and how we assign these important roles, I think, can be a hard question. Um, I think now, especially, but in general, you know. Sexual assault of vulnerable people is like, you know, nearly always going to be disqualifying from these kinds of positions. Um, but like, I'm not willing to say absolutely all the time, everywhere, you well, know, yeah, I, because, I think it's harder. And the reason why I think I agree that it's harder and the reason why I also understand why you're, you're, you're hesitating to, to give an unqualified no is because the, the individual facts and circumstances ought to matter. Yes. Um, these are individual human beings who are being asked to play individual roles. Right. Um, and so I think we're, one is naturally drawn to trying to treat it as an individual thing and right. not as something that just gives easy yeses, easy noes, and in an unqualified fashion. Um, so I totally get that and hear you. Um, at the same time, I think if we're talking about the, the the sort of the possible problems that someone could bring to the table as a nominee, maybe a different way to ask it might be um, if you had ranged before you um, a variety of people who you could choose and they are – they all have many exemplary characteristics that are highly relevant to the job. One of those people also has this – thing in their past, which they acknowledge either really happened or is a possibility because they were a drug user or whatever that might Mm -hmm. impair their memory, might impair their ability to assess accurately things they had or hadn't done, um, that that you might say, well, 
you know, if there were no one else available, or if your strengths were so uniquely tailored to the needs of this role, then we have to actually confront that hardest version of the question. But given that there are all these other people available, and given that that you aren't uniquely suited to this in a way that they're that they're not that they don't also bring strengths. I just don't even think you get to the question. Yeah, but you th- pick one of those other people. That's fine. But th- there are because there's, there's because so many great things and so many terrible things that we will never find out about anybody. Well, I think that's right, but it, that's only part of the question, right? Because the other part of the question is when when we when we can fairly well rely on people learning about the blemish. Um. In our hypothetical scenario that you and I are talking about. Here. Yeah. If, if we could fairly well rely on people learning of that, indeed, we ourselves might want to make sure people learned about it mm-hmm. in order to take the sting out of it. Um, that we, we need to start thinking, too, about what everyone else is entitled to understand and believe and want in the people who hold these positions, right? I mean, in in the position we're talking about now, a member of the Supreme Court of the United States, people are going to be asked to accept judgments that turn on that one person's vote. Um, Not all the time, but some of the time. Um, And some of those cases could be, for example, criminal cases. And some of those cases could involve, for example, someone being um, punished very severely for a crime they committed while they were relatively young. Um, and, you know, w- people have to be willing to accept certain things. Um, and you're asking, you're making a bigger ask of the public when you say, yeah, the per- the person who's participating, critically participating um, in that decision that you think of as adverse, right, um, has this blemish in their past, right? Um, do you want to make that ask of people or not? It's not only about the individual you're nominating. It's also about the acceptability of what they do right. to everyone who has to right. look at them for the next 30 years. That's right. And, and, and that's, that's, what, so but that's I, independently I just don't problematic. I, and I don't think as a categorical matter that you could say that, that there could never be somebody who had something like this, who did something like this, um, and yet has been transformative, not just of themselves, but of their community and maybe even relative to this sort of issue. Um, and, yeah, th- and, and the other people, like, you, you, I, yes, very, it, very it's, often. It's possible, obviously. Yeah. Yes, that's all I'm saying, right? Is that, that All I'm saying is that it is an individual judgment yes. in a way that, like, someone who committed a sex assault at 35 and wants to be nominated at 45, that is, like, no, right? <laughs> Absolutely not, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, again, like everything, maybe nothing is truly categorical when it comes to making evaluations of suitability of people for this kind of office, but um, but that comes pretty close. But, you know, as a as a minor in a, you know, and in, in the teenage years where there is kind of lots of people are just, you know, there are lots of transgressions around that age and lots of situations people can get in where they do truly horrible things because they have put themselves in a situation where they where their judgment is bad or they're not fully formed or their, you know, their brain is literally not fully formed, right. you know? And, so. and then when you, especially when you mix in, um, you know, the use of alcohol or, or other things that impair judgment and it, yeah, you can be in a pretty horrible situation. Right. Um, and the juvenile, the, the whole, I mean, an, an important predicate of the existence of the juvenile justice system as a separate track yeah. is, is, is this very insight that the young deserve different evaluations and different metrics than people who are adults. Right. 
It's like because they're very different kinds of entities. No death penalty for juveniles. No life without parole for juveniles. I mean, these right. are the idea here is that when the brain is not fully formed, the neither yeah. is the person. And mm. and even so, though I well, and so importantly, if we were this talking, is complicated. yeah, if we were talking about the criminal justice consequences for this individual, as opposed to talking about hiring somebody for a job now right. who's much older than this incident in their past, right? If we were talking about the criminal justice consequence of that person, we would, it would be in this context of, you know, how old are they and what are the circumstances? And, you know, and hopefully you would try to do that in a way that's, you know, race neutral and class neutral and all, all the ways in which we even, actually know I to a certainty that, that there are huge problems right. with that, actually. Yeah. Uh, the degree to which pe- people who aren't white get, get treated on a much harsher track um, when they're commit offenses below the age of 18 and all kinds of problems in that regard. Yeah. Um, so, and the way drug things are treated differently in different populations. So, we, so all kinds of real life complications. But, um, but again, we're, we're, we're of course not talking about a criminal justice. I was going to say that I could treat, even, we're talking I, about yes. hiring someone for a job. I could even imagine a, a statute which forbade, except in like, you know, when it's a bona fide occupational qualification, discrimination against um, job applicants who committed crimes as juveniles like more than 10 years ago of sure. various kinds. Like I can imagine, and, and I can imagine a society both having such a law and rejecting Supreme Court nominees for reasons which would be illegal to reject a private employee because of the nature of popular yeah. representation, right? So, uh, and the nature of that position. So I, 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 all of these things are possible. <laughs> all these things are possible. And I, I think that would be a very hard case. I think it's important to explore because... This case does raise like what is what what should we take from what someone did, you know, that long ago while while a child. Right. And while not fully formed. Um, But of course, he's like unequivocally denied that this has ever happened. And other people who have been closely associated with his nomination, namely Ed Whelan, and maybe he cooperated with. We don't know who he worked with on this. It looks like the Federalist Society and other people, but um, have advanced a separate theory that there is, as you say, a doppelganger. There's someone else who maybe looked like him. So, and, no, and, but both of those could be true. Like th- these and, aren't and mutually exclusive somebody defenses. Else. Yeah. I mean, a, a, yeah, an, yeah, an actual exposition of an actual individual named and depicted, and his uh, uh, like. <laughs> we all saw this happen. Yeah. The other night, right? So, uh, was it just last night? Um, I think it was about a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> um. My only point is it wasn't just the, a doppelganger. It could have been somebody who – like an actual person got named. Yeah. Well, it is the kind of thing that you might see in a – Ed Whelan in this – It's the kind of thing you might see a defense raise in a criminal trial. Like, you know, you, got the, you got the wrong person and here's some reason to think and like right. it could raise reasonable doubt, et cetera. It absolutely and, could. And, and, and the thing is like, you know, so forgetting the name person for a minute, it might have been someone else. Like the point is we don't know, right? right. She says no. She says I, I, I went to school with both of them. Um, I would have known if it was this other guy. It was not. It was Brett Kavanaugh, right? right. So she's very clear about what she, you know. She says happened. In, in in fact, I think she she actually said of the second person, the one who had been accused mm-hmm. by um, those avidly supporting Judge Kavanaugh. Um, I visited him in the hospital once. Yeah. I mean, it's not just they were in the same building. This is a person that was known to her, right? And so, th- so we're being we're being asked to believe that she would confuse these two people. It's just sort right. of like, no. And, and I mean, you talk about being in a bubble. I mean, this clearly struck 
um, Ed Whelan and the people he was working with as a as a really great defense. Um, right. And it was just a total meltdown on Twitter. He had to apologize. He, you know, I think he thinks he should have done it in a way that didn't identify another person. But there wasn't a way to kind of put all that evidence out there without identifying the Obviously other person. Not. And so um, it, it was just a, a huge hot mess. And we're still trying to figure out like who was involved in concocting this thing. And and of course, the, so for me. Okay, what this whole experience shows is that the people who are saying that no investigation is needed. So uh, there are a lot of people saying, you know, it shouldn't be a he said, she said, just two witnesses testifying before the SJC, the Senate Judiciary Committee, at the end of which they just vote because they said, well, she says this, he says that, who can really know? And so then they just take a vote. That's that's right. what Grassley and and McConnell who can really know want. could cash out two different ways, right? At least, right? It could cash out. You know, we can't really know, therefore we can't possibly hire him for this job, or we can't really know, therefore he should definitely get this job. Oh yeah, the, the I mean, it justifies like the very same right. the, um, the position inability that, yeah. to to know could 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 lead to you to either of result, course, which but, is of course where they are now. But the right? Grassley, some want to hire the, him. And the some Grassley don't. McConnell position is that he should be confirmed unless it can be proved he committed a crime beyond a reasonable doubt, as far as I can tell. As far as I can tell, that's the position they have. In fact, apparently McConnell just gave a speech just like, was it yesterday saying that, you know, we will plow through this nomination. Did right. you, we will plow through this and we will put him on the court. Like, like, aren't you interested in whether this happened? Like, you know, so so if what I had said at the beginning were true and he had, you know, and, and he hadn't said anything yet and there was still a chance that he would admit to having done this, then we would be faced with this thing. It's like, what does this really mean that this happens? So, and you can imagine like. You know, at least some people having some worry about saying this is automatically disqualifying. You would still want to find out whether it happened. Right. right? You would still want to know, did this thing happen? Um, and, and there seems to be no curiosity about that question. Like that this is among, just a, among some that this is just a problem to be dealt with among right. the Republicans on the SJC. Right. And so they have they're trying to schedule things. And in fact, they are negotiating with her, which I think is weird because it is not her responsibility to prosecute the case. Like it is their responsibility to figure out whether this is a person who should be confirmed. Right. Right. In which case, like it should be they who want to get all the evidence. Right. And yet Grassley is like specifically taken a, so a negotiating would... position as if like she's on one side and he's on the other. Right. Like what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, wh- where, what where, I... Whereas if you were of the view that this was a person you very much needed to speak to because they had information that was important for your assessment of what the true state of affairs was and how that should affect right. your ultimate judgment about this person's suitability for confirmation. Um, you would do things like ask them when they could appear before you if they're willing to do so, right? right? And they would give you a time, like a day. Um, and and you'd say, thank you. We'll, we will see you on that day, right? Because you'd really want them to be there. Unless you, you wouldn't uh, instead right. say, well, I'm going to give you this day. Oh, uh, you can't come that day because I didn't consult you beforehand. I'm going to give you this day. Uh, and you only have until this hour to tell me. And then you can't tell me by then. Because, by the way, you fled your house because there's death threats right. and blah, 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 blah. I mean, the whole thing is just such a. It's like if you want to make your case show up by this date, like it's her case to make. It's like she's got information which should be valuable to the American people. Right. And, you know, which we have to value. We don't know what happened. And which and, either they want to hear or not. And and everything they're doing tells me they don't want to hear it. But normal, so normal procedure, I think, and this is what happened with, and, and it was Grassley who was saying this is what should have happened during the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, is the background check would be reopened. The FBI would go and interview relevant witnesses, gather information, and then there would be testimony before the Senate 
with that information having been gathered, right, on the basis of that information, in right. the same way we would do, yeah. like, a, you know... A, they would have that available. Form. They yeah. could ask questions about, you know, when, so in this interview, this person said the following. Right. Is that, but you said something different. How would you explain that disparity? You it would be it, like having... That's like, why it's good to have it the It would be like having a civil trial without discovery or a criminal trial without a police investigation. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, <laughs> at all. It doesn't make any sense if you are if you make the assumption that the the reason for the process to occur is to come to some assessment about the reality of a prior state of affairs. When that is not actually why you're having the process, then it makes the world. But I think we have to insist that that's the reason for the process, because our alternatives are to say, okay, that's the reason. I'm looking at what you're doing, Chairman Grassley. Right? Uh, You know negotiating with her about a time, refusing to have, not asking the president to, uh, to, uh, to get the FBI to reopen the back, back uh, the background check. Right. Um, not, um, and, and even if he, because, you know, let's set, let's not even mention the president right now. But so even, even if he doesn't do that for his own weird reasons, like setting up a bipartisan investigation process where we have attorneys, uh, bi- bipartisan right. a group of attorneys who can like replicate that, like doing something like that, like that you're not willing to do any of that is like given that your goal is gathering information and finding out like we're going to assume that's your goal boy that's idiotic it's just crazy yeah but doesn't Crazily that make you, idiotic doesn't that make you question whether or not that is their goal i mean it it, seems... it makes me think that Mitch McConnell meant what he said that we are going to confirm Brett Kavanaugh and we're going to plow through this yeah um which again is inconsistent with it with the goal of the of, of having for example an additional in person hearing being to develop more information to help one assess a fact of the matter about the past. And there's all kinds Uh, of... So that that past can be an input into making a decision about whether someone's suitable for a particular particular job. Because I think what's absolutely clear, there can be no... I don't think there's any debate about this. Like, if we knew for sure that he did this and that he has lied about it, then he's not suitable for the court. I can't imagine anybody, if we knew with 100% certainty that this actually happened... And we know that he has denied it, who would say, yeah, put him on the court. I, I think that would be disqualifying for any reasonable person. But so everything I, involves I agree, throwing although, sand in the gears of the investigation. Everything what? Everything now involves throwing sand in the gears of the investigation. So, you know, the, the first line was, well, the FBI said that they couldn't do this, which is nonsense, right? Uh, I, first of all, I don't even think the FBI actually said that, you know, maybe – Maybe one FBI agent said that, but like the FBI did not say that because, of course, they can reopen the background investigation. I think they were well; they're highly expert in doing background investigations. Right. So they, if they were asked to do it, now it may and then be, it was and then it was in the terms F- of their internal rules, it may be that they need to re- receive that request in the from White the House. president. Of course, but if the chairman of the Senate Judiciary said, "Look, of course, you, here's the choice: of you course. can either have us." approve your nominee, or, or you can decide you don't want a background investigation. It's up to you. Of course. Right? So the president, may, which of course is what happened but, in the Hill-Thomas matter, because right. C. Boyd and Gray, as soon as this came up, he's like, of course, <laughs> senators, we will ask the FBI. I mean, so, But then there's more dust kicking into the eyes when they say, when it's like, well, the FBI can't do this. And of course, what they mean by that is the, the FBI can't investigate this for a referral to the DOJ for prosecution. Right. I mean, the F- which isn't what's being because sought. if there's a so, cri- if there's suspicion of a crime, the FBI can investigate on its own to find out whether a federal crime has been committed. Right. And then refer it to the DOJ and there can be a prosecution like under various there. It's a whole handbook. There are a bunch of rules and stuff to governing this kind of thing. Right. And they would not have it's true. They would not have jurisdiction to begin an investigation on their own to, you know, to investigate a, an assault in Maryland of this sort. As far as I know, like I don't think they have they 
I don't Agreed. think it's within their rules to do that. Yeah. But that's not, of course, that that's has not nothing being to do here right. with this. But the fact that people raise this is infuriating because I, I will he- talk to like regular, um, uh, just kind of, you know, even, well, I don't want to say, but I, I've talked to a few conservatives, some of which have like raised this. And I, I guess this is on Fox News. I don't know where this is coming from, where, okay. the, you know, it's being repeated on Twitter. Like it's just a, a stream of garbage, a stream of garbage about like the barriers to doing what anybody would want to do, which is a proper investigation. And if anything should show the need for such a thing, it's Ed Whelan's melt- meltdown on Twitter. Like with the how, yeah, yeah. how can you possibly say there should be no like investigation when you are out doing an investigation? It also, I think it could fairly be said, um, puts puts a bit of a lie to all of the tut tutting over how bad it is to accuse somebody uh, of doing this bad thing in their youth um, without having, you know, sort of ironclad evidence. (laughs) Because they just did that to this other guy who they say looks a lot like Brett Kavanaugh, which didn't seem true to me when I saw the pictures. But anyway, um, like they just did the very thing they're saying other people shouldn't do. So there's sort of like... The other thing that this is all cloaked to me, it's bad faith all the way down. But the, but it's it's so it's cloaked in this cloud of, you know, but what aboutism, right? That is used to explain every but that's that every malefaction the, on what it is but like. But gets, you just did X, right? right? So it's all bad faith all the way down. See, if you assume that the bad faith started with Feinstein keeping the secret until the last minute and then springing this thing, that isn't what I meant. No, but what but I'm saying is that the, is that. That justifies, I think, in some people's minds, Mm -hmm. taking a purely game theoretic view here. You want X. You've done bad things to try to get X, right? I want not X. And if you're going to do bad things, I'm a fool and idiot. Like, and we've already talked before about the certain kind of anti-Chump worldview that some people have. Right. Like, the last thing. Well, that becomes the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. The the last thing I'm going to do is play the Chump and let you, with your bad faith, get this through. Right. And, and, and so I think it justifies all kinds of machinations. And people are losing sight over the fact that the ultimate decision is whether to seat a person on the court. Correct. Who has this potentially in his background. Right. And is denying that it's in his background. Right. So w- w- where another person is saying that it is in his background and can adduce some information that supports that view. And there, and there is a lack of other information that might support that view for a variety of reasons, which – some people think are good reasons and some people don't. So clearly what you need, it's just so obvious that what you need to do a decent job here and be fair to him, right? And, and, you know, be fair to everybody involved is to get some investigators, probably the FBI because they're set up to do this. Like if Trump refuses, you get some bipartisan group of investigators directly from the Senate. I don't know how that works. They can figure it out. We could do this. It's possible. Uh, you talk to all the relevant witnesses and then you bring in witnesses who seem particularly relevant to testify. And that means like doing the Ed Whelan kind of thing. Yeah, look at those houses. Like figure out like is this like what does she say about what she remembers? Does it match these other things? It could and, mean all right. It but could then mean you also, all manner of things. If by, by, and I would say – You I also would, talk to this judge guy. I would, I would want to take my cue at least to a great degree from the people who are – experienced conducting investigations that involve talking to people in circumstances of this sort and similar sorts. Yeah. Like, but because I think there is a real, like there is an actual uh, professional skill and expertise involved in investigating matters like this, Mm -hmm. which is another thing I think people are not really 
don't seem to tune into that I think is frustrating. I agree with you. I, um, I, I think there's, there, I, there's actual it, yeah. expertise in conducting these sorts of things, which is another reason why you'd want people who are highly experienced at doing it to do it. I, I think even if they can't get the FBI, the Senate could could hire people to do that work. Sure. Um, you know, just like, you know, like, you know, Bob Mueller came back to do, you know, his thing that you could. I mean, if it were financial, to... if there were if there were an allegation that there'd been sort of some sort of financial impropriety, there has right, been, by the way, in a complex tax matter, right? You would you would want forensic accountants and other people with the right kinds of experience, right? You you know, don't throw me at the problem. I sit there all day. I'm not going to know how to spot what's right and what's wrong. And like, I'm not an accountant, so you know. Hire people who have the experience right. to do this stuff. And this the just FBI seems... background check people do this thing all the time. This is the other talking point that really I can't get past it because I hear people make this who I think have good faith, who are making this argument in good faith, and I just cannot fathom it. So, you know, there's this judge guy who's the other guy. What's his first name? I forget. He's a friend of Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. High school friend. I don't right. know if they're still it's, friends. I think it's Mark, but uh, yeah, there's so, a Mike judge and a Mark judge. Yeah, I don't remember. He's, and he wrote, so he wrote a book about how he used to get blackout drunk and, you know, he's changed his ways, etc. But so right. he you know, clearly did a lot of drinking yeah. in high Frequently school. Frequently drunk in high school. Yeah. And, um, and a classmate of and Brett Dr. Kavanaugh's. Dr. Ford alleges that he was in the room. Yes. And that he was encouraging this. And she has very specific allegations about his role in it. Right. And He's issued a statement, and I, I'd want the statement in front of me before I parse it, but basically denying this happened. But I, I think you'd want to look at it very carefully to see exactly what was denied before you concluded about what exactly was denied. So, uh, and, but, and also stating, I don't want to come testify. I don't want to come testify. Which means you have to subpoena him. Exactly. Because he doesn't want to come voluntarily, and if he and if he insists on not coming voluntarily, you have to serve him with a subpoena, and he can try to quash the subpoena. There are processes for of dealing course, with but, reluctant witnesses. But the first step they is, get used every the day. The first step is you get investigators to go talk to him, whether it's the FBI or that's this purely. Well, but, but he might refuse thing. to talk to them he as may, well, and there's a process and, for that. Yes, and I then mean, you have to subpoena. Yes, so he can be compelled unless he invokes the Fifth Amendment, right, to to testify. Indeed, and and even then he could be immunized. But here's the talking point. And and he could. Here's the talking point that I've heard otherwise smart people make. <laughs> like seriously, like really smart people. So I I, I really feel like I'm missing something because it seems so obviously crazy to me. And that is, he's already issued the statement denying it. What more can we possibly learn? Yeah, that's just ridiculous. And it's like, <laughs> like why do we even have police? Like, there's a crime. Let's just ask people to send their send in their statements. Right. right. It's it, like the reason you talk to people, even people who have issued statements. And it's reasoning they wouldn't accept in any other in circumstance. Any other Certainly circumstance. not a circumstance that bore on their personal lives unconnected to these sorts of matters. Right? To if, me, it's just like, uh, like, you know, like really way out there in terms of craziness because the entire theory of investigation is someone makes a statement of some kind. You talk with them. You, you know, so. So it, what is it, Why does it matter or what are we to make of the fact that people are making these arguments or, or using these talking points? So it could given, be a, given that they seem on their face to be the kind of thing you couldn't possibly credit or believe if you were on the other side of this debate well, about say, who should and right. shouldn't be on the court. As they say, partisanship is a hell of a drug. Yeah. And like. I'm on that drug too. We all are. Like we all have priors. Like I, there are things that I would like for the next Supreme Court justice to like, there, there are theories I would like that person to have. There are commitments I want that person to have. Um, and, you know, and, and those aren't the commitments of Brett Kavanaugh, I think. Right. I, you know, who knows? Life is long. You know, justices are their own people. But sure. um, 
nonetheless, like I have partisan, I call them partisan, but like I have commitments that are important to me that I would like to see reflected on the Supreme Court, right? Yes. And those commitments, in addition to my life experience, of course, are going to influence how I perceive other people, right? right? You know, I've, and what you just I've written said, a whole article about how like our, our cooperation is all about like modeling other people's reasons. Right? And what you just said is true of all the people who are intimately involved with this process right now, right? That they all have commitments about what they'd like to see in the next justice of who's confirmed to fill this ninth spot, right? Um, so, so again, wh- what are we to make of, or what do we do about the fact that when it comes to, for example, this? person, Mr. Judge, who was a classmate of, of Kavanaugh's and has written this memoir about all the drinking in high school and is said by Dr. Ford to have been there in the very event in question, right? And he says, I, you know, I don't want to talk to you all. I deny that it occurred. I deny ever having seen Judge Kavanaugh engaged in behavior of this sort in any occasion. Um, well, oh, well, what more could we possibly learn? What I, could we possibly? Yeah. Okay. That's ridiculous on its face. In that, that is not a conclusion that person saying it would reach in virtually any other circumstance. Right. Where but course, we needed to yeah. find out what happened in, in in this kind of scenario where a crime might have been committed, et cetera, et cetera, right? This should make us reflect on ourselves and, our, and the way that we form our own arguments about things. And I, you know, I try very hard to do that. I'm sure I fail, right? I'm sure sometimes I'm attracted to arguments that for reasons that aren't apparent to me connect up with my priors. And like, you know, you just have to do the best you can in life, Right. I can't imagine adopting – I just can't imagine adopting a position like this one. However, there is potentially one nonpartisan type argument you might have here, um, and, and that's this. So, suppose um, suppose you and, I, you and I, Joe, had been friends in high school and that we got drunk a lot. We you know, did a lot of drugs and we otherwise were like you know, miscreants of, of various kinds. But, but like in the, within ordinary bounds, we never assaulted anybody. Uh, never hurt anybody. And we never did anything disqualifying other than, you know, uh, the uh, Douglas Ginsburg marijuana usage, right? That turns out that was disqualifying right. way back when, right? But uh, but we did that kind of thing and maybe maybe even some like embarrassing sex stuff, right? Some, you know, stuff like that, right? Some stuff that like if there were a hearing where you were – where you had to repeat the things that you did out loud in front of the American public would be really, really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And like a normal person might say, you know what? I'm just going to withdraw <laughs> rather than go through like – what happened then, right? So one concern that people have is that, you know, accusations are really easy to make. Mm-hmm. I, I don't agree. I actually think that this was a very hard accusation I, I, to I make. Um, unless unless there was something wrong with her, right? Um, and there's, I have no reason to think that there is. Uh, there, there are people who make false accusations. They're rare. They, they don't generally look like this. Um, so... I have uh, the same understanding. Yeah, so... Um, but... Um, you could think that, you know, at least some kinds of accusations are easy to make, even if, and, and maybe if you're the kind of person who doesn't care if the spotlight falls on you and what happens to you after that, like you can make an accusation that gets people called by committees like this to say things to the American public that are really, really embarrassing. So if someone had accused, um, had accused me of a sexual assault in high school and you were my buddy in that kind of situation and they said that you were an eyewitness and they called you in, you know, some natural questions would be. If you're an investigator, at least the questions would be, well, were you ever at a party where there was a lot of drinking? Tell me about those. Were you ever in a situation where the person was romantic with someone who was in the room? Tell me about that. And it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to, you know, who wants to go over all this, right? right. Um, and even if the truth of the matter is there never was. So there never was the assault, right? Okay. And so one concern that you do have, right, is you don't want every high-profile nomination to turn into 
uh, a situation where one grievous accusation can sink the ship because it just encourages people to make these kinds of accusations. Now, I don't think these accusations are super easy to make, um, but at least that is a nonpartisan reason to set the bar very high for calling in people to engage and to, to, to give certain kinds of testimony. Well, one, I mean, it's, it is an interesting concern, although I, I have to note that admittedly the N here is small. There haven't been that many Supreme Court nominations um, there, because there haven't been that many justices. Um, you know, the, so the N here is small. But I have to say, to date, it's actually never sunk a nomination. Mm-hmm. An allegation of this sort has ne- actually never, never prevented someone from taking a seat on the Supreme Court. So, I, I mean, again, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point that we don't want to uh, respond to allegations in a way that would invite m- allegations totally lacking in merit in future. I, I mean, I think that sounds, that sounds right to me. We don't want to do that. Um, but I don't see any evidence that we're anywhere close to doing that. Well, so I wonder I mean, what, the, what the nature of the point really is. Well, right? the concern is that times are different. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show, we're in the age of the information sewer. Right. And um, maybe it's easier to make these kinds of allegations. It's easier to set someone up. I mean, a, a tactic in a tactic in Russia under Putin has been to accuse enemies of being pedophiles. And yeah, and I think and, and I and, and I think it's very important in uh, because we, these are da- these alleg- allegations that are this charged um, and intense are. um really problematic if abused. Right. Um, I understand that. Um, but it seems to me that that precisely because that's so, what you want is pr- practices and processes that help you as quickly as you can get as close as you can to the most accurate picture you can have. Right. right. The answer to it isn't, well, I, I I need to act crazy because <laughs> because if I don't act crazy, uh, we'll have too many of these allegations. Well, I actually don't think there's any connection between you acting crazy and having more or few, fewer of these allegations. I think what what you could make a connection with in in you know after today, are we going to have more allegations of this sort or fewer allegations of this sort? One thing I think that would lead to fewer of them is when they come in, you treat them like something you need to get to the bottom of effectively and efficiently Mm -hmm. and frankly as dispassionately as you can well i also think that because those are the enemies of people who are fabricating things yeah if you're effective and efficient and dispassionate and just investigate it to the best of your ability it means you go talk to people you write down what they say you talk to some more people you write down what they say you put it all together and if it's clear beyond a reasonable doubt that they made it up it may even be criminal yes and 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 i think anyone who engaged in a, a a criminal level of false allegation in this context would be prosecuted and should be prosecuted, um, barring some medical explanation for their doing what they're doing that would, you know, pre- prevent us holding them culpable. I, I think another thing that would make this less likely is an 18-member Supreme Court serving 18-year terms selected every year with Senate disapproval in the way that I outline in the amendment. That could very well be true. Um, I think there's every reason to think it would be true. Uh, 
but but just putting that to the side, I don't understand how, you know, lighting all your clothes and your hair on fire and acting like a crazy person is the way to if if your belief is allegations like this, uh, if they are meritless, cannot be allowed to succeed. Because we will get more of them, mm-hmm. right? I just don't understand I, the response to you. that of let me light everything about myself on fire and run around like a maniac. I agree with you, but I, I don't get it. But I also think that the the commitment to this nominee and the refusal to investigate is, I think it's a natural consequence of our structure interacting with our particular, um, our particular um, uh, political geography right now. Uh, the particular coalition of the GOP in particular interacting with this structure produces McConnellism Mm. and McConnellism produces this kind of commitment because it is such a high value thing Mm. like this the uh and and I think that you know one reason I think it's different now is that fact which could change which could change relative to different now relative to um than it was like in in ages gone by right uh, okay. m- meaning e- before 1990 or so, mm, okay. maybe maybe before Reagan, right? right you know, some, somewhere around in there is where it changed. And I think it has to do with the success of um, and and kind of general overall kind of general acceptance of legal realism, even if people don't know that name, right? That that law is a kind of politics, right? It is not the same kind of politics, nor should it be, but it. But interpretation, and, and here we would get in, we're not going to get into originalism and everything right now, right. but like, but that interpreting the Constitution involves a kind of politi- forward-looking political statement, um, and you can say that it doesn't, but it does, and, and the part of the proof of that is that people are so <laughs> committed to these, to their nominees, right? Right. Um, I get it. You can make an argument that you're committed to this nominee because he's committed to a non, you know, political, whatever, but that put that aside, Right. But I think that the success of, of legal realism, and there really isn't an alternative, I think, means that we're going to have these kinds of debates. And the best that we can do, I think, is rearrange the structure of things to make, to turn down the wattage with respect to each nominee and return responsibility for a nomination chiefly to the president by raising the bar of Senate disapproval. But my, my proposal in particular wouldn't necessarily stick us with a Brett Kavanaugh, Right. Um, because they could reject him, and they, anyway, it has we can talk about it more later. But there, um, uh, but ultimately, the president would get a pick of some kind. Yeah. But I think they, the president would just be less committed to a single pick, right? If uh, under a structure where there's kind of Senate disapproval, and you just put in another name, and the Senate has only a, f- a certain number of days, like if you're guaranteed basically a pick as a president within the one year um, for that pick. And it doesn't matter if one is rejected. You can put forth another and that and then another. And ultimately, one of your choices will be picked. Then the success of any particular nomination, I think, is less important. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, there'll be less commitment, maybe less coverage, right? Um, appropriate coverage, but maybe like it'll seem less existential. Like, is right. this the justice that's going to turn back the clock on Roe against Wade, right? Like, th- I just... I think you can do something about making that better in terms of public debate I think by that, changing the structure. I, I think that's right. I, th- I think um, in addition, I, I have lately been thinking that we, we need not only some structural changes of the sort you're describing, but we actually do need to 
we do need to do some updating of the basic rights commitments in the document um, to to sort of allow us to move beyond a, a kind of endless revanchism about certain issues. Now, and, now you're yeah, this. I have another project which I'm thinking about, which is basically redrafting the Constitution. Yeah. I I can you and I have not talked about that ever before, but I can understand why a person would be would that would be on their mind I'm because already, yeah I'm because I about it. you know it's not just process here it's not just kind of structure of an institutional arrangement it's the actual outcomes are ma- are important here. There's a group of scholars who's otherwise who are otherwise kind of sympathetic to our concerns about the Supreme Court, the ones that we've been airing here, who suggest that the answer is for the Supreme Court basically to back off and get out of public life a little bit more by deferring to Congress much more strongly. And I do not agree with that. Like, I actually think that many decisions in the Warren court and in other courts were really good, right? Um, and, and, and part of that was an engagement with problems that were legislatively intractable in either in a Caroline Products kind of way or a slightly different kind of way. So we're not going to get into this right now because... Um, well, we're, it's the, the podcast we, is barely two hours young. Yeah, we're, we're, we're until when we get to hour eighteen, we'll start to peter um, out, probably. But yeah, so I, I you know, I I, I want to see some structural changes, but but I we, we do I think we need a robust. And if there's one criticism of my proposal about eighteen, it's that maybe maybe some powerful figures like certainly at the when the supreme court first started john marshall was a very important figure right yeah. partly as, as an individual right uh, in in claiming certain powers for the supreme court and and you know the more members there are the, maybe the less forceful you know when they're only nine like you know them all and john roberts is you know well known at least among the people to whom he's well yeah, known which I is mean, all most people, people in washington don't know any of these yeah, people yeah but but, but the... people in washington like you you have you're a more powerful figure when you are the when you are one of nine than if you're one of 18 so i I get that but um but otherwise i do think the supreme court needs to be remain engaged in public life to play the role that it played in obergefell in ratifying social change in um in protecting unpopular speakers and uh but um you know that doesn't justify all the vices of the modern supreme court yes and and i don't and although there's a part of me that is inclined to agree with you i think it is it would be easier to agree with you if we also said well you know we there's there's there are parts for us to play too in yeah. in our own ratifications of these achievements and that is by inscribing them in the document itself as a new baseline from which to proceed and um, I think it is deeply regrettable that the ERA was not uh, ratified by yeah. the states. I think it's. I think it is regrettable that we have not that we don't have a a really robust um, constitutional guarantee of the right to vote for 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 everybody across the board, and that has enforcement mechanisms um, that that won't be defanged by again sort of revanchist nonsense. Um, so uh, you know we need I think the document needs amendments mm-hmm. that are that are about commitments that some people have of course some people don't have them we'll we'll disagree with them and it may be that we that we've reached a polarization point for the foreseeable future where the where those amendments cannot be achieved under the mechanisms that the document itself provides um I, I, but boy do we really need them 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Because part of what part of what people are are thinking about when they're looking at the things like these confirmation battles is they're thinking about like, wait a minute, are, is am I going to get hauled back to 1918? Yeah. The world was not good for people like me. In I mean, there's an element of what where yeah. some people can look at this and feel that way. There's an element of what you're saying, which is like you know what do you you know solving a problem of being on a desert island and not being able to construct shelter by the very first step is suppose I have a screwdriver. Right. Right. Or suppose I have a hammer like, OK, like if we could suppose that we could redraft the document to like, you know, to, to contain all of our the commitments we want to see, then, yeah, that would solve a lot of problems. But the, but the same problem that's that the, the same uh, political problems that are causing what I think of as disastrous and near suicidal conflicts over Supreme Court justices are the ones which would prevent that kind of agreement. That that would be an argument, right? Yeah. It, and, and, and which was your point about polarization. Maybe we're at that point. Right, now, but it, maybe yeah, we're not. It maybe may be. Not. It may be right. Um, it might not be right. I think there's a, there's somewhere between assume a screwdriver and and um, and actually having one. Is well, you know, are there are there are there things that we could do to try to bring that about? Mm-hmm. I mean, is there something around here that I could use as a handle for a little while? Is there something around here that I could use as a you know a stiff? thing that that if i use the handle to hold it i could apply some turning force and actually turn something right i mean you so you 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 try to approximate and you sort of build toward the thing that ultimately you need yeah um and and maybe all that approximating with your your sort of hepped up little <laughs> not a screwdriver but kind of like a screwdriver means by the time you you get a screwdriver you don't need it anymore because you've already accomplished maybe but but Again, we, you know, we, we need to, I think we would benefit, let me put it that way. I think we would benefit from trying to build movement around concretely achieving those amendment objectives. Yeah. I'm, that, I'm thinking too of, of the constitution as a problem solving document and how it, one way of telling the story, and you can always tell this as the, any story as a success as a success story in in retrospect, right? That we solve the problem of um, stitching together potentially disparate sovereign states with the really the second constitution, right after the Articles of Confederation, but with the with the original constitution, um, uh, we kind of saw we kind of cracked the kind of federal slash state nut at that time. Now, mm-hmm. um, but of course, you know. Uh, all kinds of problems with the document, which led to the Civil War. So, so in many right. ways, it was a terrible failure, right? We've talked about this on the show yes. before, right? Yeah. Um, but then after the Civil War, we, the Fourteenth Amendment, Thirteenth Amendment, Fifteenth Amendment, we we have a set of tools now meant to solve a different kind of problem, which is basically smashing the uh, the Confederacy and achieving emancipation, right? Uh, civil and political emancipation, and it took a long time, right? And it took Congress getting back in the game and passing not just one, but two civil rights acts over the course of a hundred years. Right. And in a way like that effort has been successful. Like if you measure just our progress since the terror of the KKK after the civil war and the introduction of Jim Crow until now, like we've made a lot of success, not so much success in, in material equality, right. And all kinds of other things that we think would be that, people deserve now that people need now that uh um that solves actual social problems that we have whether it's like income inequality climate change uh, uh policing reform you can think of a lot of big problems that we have now that, that you and, and no backsliding in terms of political rights like voting i mean yeah. there's right 
So, so yes, huge, lots of progress and some real noticeable problems. So if you were to design a document today, it would be with a view toward our problems, right? Not right. the problems of, oh my God, we got to make sure that somehow the states are a free trade zone, but, are, but that we don't create a King George, right? That's the, that problem, right? Yeah. The next problem is, what do we do about all of these slaves and the tendency of the southern states to want to re-enslave them, right? I mean, that's like, let's guarantee, like as condition of readmission to the union, that, that you respect certain kinds of rights and that very quickly that commitment fell apart and True. then we started to rediscover it, right? But what, in, and now we're kind of picking at the document to try to use the tools that it gives us to solve these brand new problems in, you know, the age of, like we said, the information sewer and the age of, uh, uh, of um, big data gerrymandering, right? Um, the, the world is presenting lots of kind of huge collective action problems yeah. and kind of uh, political arbitrage opportunities that, that we aren't really, you know, the document is stretched to try to answer but it also, you know, because of its open texture, allows it to uh, to be kind of a partner in creating those problems. Yes. So, I, I don't know. I, I think we got to stop, right? Yeah. So this was, but this, you know. I feel like I've said a lot of garbage today. Oh, I don't think so. I, I, the words aren't coming. Yeah. So you asked about the trip to Hong Kong. Yes, I did. A very long time a ago. A long time ago. And I felt like when I was talking to my friend, because when I was talking to my friend, so I had a conference in Hong Kong, amazing conference, amazing conference, which brings together like economists, philosophers, sociologists. Cut very short though. Yes, because when I arrived in Hong Kong, there was a super typhoon that had changed course and now was headed directly for Hong Kong and might have been, they were saying, the biggest, uh, the the, the strongest typhoon on record. Um, And so the conference got like, you know, consolidated, et cetera, um, and parts of it were canceled and then I had to try to get a flight back. Otherwise, I could be stranded in Hong Kong. And it turns out the flight back that I got was like before any of the one day of the conference that they were actually going to hold was going to occur. So it was a huge disaster, right? But I wound up like flying there and, and having one day in Hong Kong and then flying back. So I was in the air for like, um, what was it like 36 hours, 35 hours out of 96 hours, like in the air, like in the airport, I was in, you know, like over well, well over half that time. I had basically one day where I was walking around, mm. um, but part of that, and my flight back was delayed, which meant that not only that, but when I got back to, so I flew into uh, the West Coast, and then my flight from the West Coast, um, because the flight from Hong Kong was delayed, I missed that connection or was going to miss that connection. So they rebooked me on another red eye. So I mm. took two red eyes in a row, Joe. I Great. was in bad shape when I got back. Yeah. But after all that flight, so I got to spend time with my friend, an afternoon with my friend. We were having great conversation. It was super fun. But it was on the tail end of having all of that happen. Mm. And so I feel like, you know, probably didn't make a lot of sense. It just shows what a good person he is for putting up with me. <laughs> this is me with a decent amount of sleep. Can you imagine, Joe? No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was, a, that was a quick story about Hong Kong and my escaping a super typhoon and spending way too much time in an airplane. Well, I'm, my, I'm, my God. I'm sorry that all that happened, and I am glad that you escaped the super typhoon. I did not know that there was such a thing as a super typhoon. Yeah, I mean, they escaped the worst of it, but like there was no telling in advance. And still there were like cranes falling down and buildings flooding and um, yeah, it was was not good. But But yeah, I think we've, I think we need to wrap it up for now. I think we go for, we're only in the second hour now. Okay. This could be our longest episode ever. Yeah, let's do four more hours and then we'll be good. Since we're only, we're not going to come back for another two weeks, right? Right. So one way the listeners can deal with this. Well, one, one way they can deal with it is just to hit unsubscribe. 
that's a way. That's always an option. It's not right? what I would recommend, but... Uh, well, I, I kind of want to listen back first before fair I... Fair point. It's a fair uh, point. Um, but another way they could deal with it is just listen to it in bits at a time. Listen to it in two parts if you want to. Yeah, even, like, even if you're like a, even if you're like a, uh, you know, like I, I like to listen all at one time. Just pretend this is two episodes. Yeah. Maybe I could even cut it into two episodes. Nah. No. You think I should just ship it out? Yeah. 